I got called to go on deployment back in 2017 and I had nine days notice to pack up all my shit and leave. So it was one of those phone calls where I'm like, hey, babe, I'm looking at leaving and it's going to be all you. So he really didn't have much of a choice after that. Welcome to From the Ground Up, where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well, some of you are driving. If you're driving, keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone, to From the Ground Up Podcast. Is this still called From the Ground Up Podcast? Now we have the now we have the channel called Port City Pythons Podcast. I'm still calling it From the Ground Up. Oh, what do God. we do, Ryan? I say from the ground up. That's the OG at least. There you go. So maybe it will be kind of like Condro, where some people will stick with the uh, with the with the OG name. Some people will go with the new one. Until some yep. lumper comes and splits it all up, you know. <laughs> Hoser's gonna miss, split this into three podcasts, actually. <laughs> oh God. So Ryan Cox from um, Specialized Fauna. There you hey. go. I should have introduced you. It's okay. Everybody knows me by now. If you're in yeah. the chat, you're in the know. <laughs> the uh, the go-to Melissa replacement for the night. So what do you got going on over there in Gray yeah. Rat Snake Land? Nothing. Uh, playing with Gray Rat Snakes. Those are fun. Uh, taming them down. <laughs> <laughs> AKA trying to get bit and not lose them is kind of the, the hardest yeah, It's a whole lot not lose them the other day. It's the not losing them, yeah, which is the yeah. most important. They're chill, but if like anything goes on, like there's a loud noise or something, that's it. They're spazzing out. They're jumping out of the tub. You got to chase them across the floor. Yeah, it's one of those things that's like low approach. Try not to like go over their heads or go in front of their heads, and don't touch their tail because they'll just launch the other way. And... <laughs> no, don't touch the tail. Don't do that. <laughs> I got the little Petco hook that just collapsed all the way down, and you just pick them up with that, set them in your hand. They're cool. You can dump the water bowl out, change the paper, whatever, with them, and they'll just sit right there in your hand. But if you touch them, it's done. Yep. And those those hooks are dreadful because they always spin around and stuff. But I use them pretty much constantly. And they're a blunt right. end. That's the worst part about it. Because uh, yeah. I've got one of those like get hooked hooks. I got one at Tinley. And it's actually got the beveled end on it. Oh, dude. It'll spoil you. I wish they made one. <laughs> I wish they made one, though, that was like this long. That's all I want. Yeah. Someone probably has a mini hook out there. That's somebody named David Brahms. Ooh, he does? He does, he does 3D printed hooks? he does. have a little tiny hook. Huh. Well, I, I guess our dreams could be a reality quicker than we ever thought, huh? I guess so. Well, enough of us talking, huh? Yeah, I guess you should probably get your guest on here. <laughs> so today's guests are, they specialize in ball pythons. They are Anya and Matt Littlefield of Snake Eyes Exotics. Anya, Matt, welcome to the podcast. How's it hey. going? Hang on just a sec. I'm fixing the display because it keeps turning off and I don't know how to fix it. So I have You're to wear my mask periodically. <laughs> so guys, Anya and Matt are in a camper coming back from the super show. So guys, how was the show? It was good. It was really big. Um, everything they say about the venue is true. And they actually just switched venues. It was in Pomona and they went back or went to Anaheim. So it was in Anaheim this time. And it was massive. Like everything was larger than life. There were a ton of vendors. So it was really a cool experience. Um, the drive, not so cool because it's 25 hours straight drive time for us plus stops. Wow. So it ended up being God, like three days mostly. 
So it was quite the adventure for us. And now we're headed back. Still going. <laughs> yeah, we're about six or seven hours in today. So we still have a long time before we're home. So does the camper help out in that 25 hours or what? Yes. Yeah, it actually helps a lot. We're streaming live from the camper right now. So this was something that we got for our anniversary. So anniversary present to ourselves. Tax deduction toy. <laughs> there you go. And it helps with the travel. You, you have your house with you. We can grocery shop and cook everything in the camper. So it saves money. We don't have to worry about staying in a gross hotel or something like that. So do you even take that to the local shows or semi-local for you guys? I mean, there's not many yeah. big shows in Arkansas. There's none at all. Uh, the closest one to us would be a Memphis Repticon, which uh, we won't do. Uh, so the nearest one that we attend is, is going to be your um, Arlington AR, NARBC. Um, and then other than that, typically Tinley. And then we do a few more of the Herp shows down in Texas. And, and I get in New Orleans, too. Yeah. What is packing in a camper like for a snake show? Um, well, most of the stuff actually travels in the truck because we have a three-quarter ton pickup that we use to pull the camper. So most of the stuff rides in the backseat of that or in the bed. So at night, we just bring the animals in the camper with us because we have the gas or the propane heat. So everybody stays cozy at night. And then during the day, we just move them back in the truck and drive. So it's really not as crazy as one would think. And it's a little camper. It's not... It's only 20 feet or so, so it's not anything just really massive to worry about. Yeah, but it's all, I mean, it's it's set up for boondocking. It's, like I said, everything will pretty much run on propane, your fridge, your heat. Uh, I've got solar panels built in on the roof already, so, I mean, we've got 100% battery power, and that's just driving down the road. Oh, I bet that's awesome. So, it's, I mean, it's pretty cool. You know, we did a lot of research finding the right one we'd like to do. I mean, we like to... We're outdoor people anyway, so if we're not cleaning snake shit, we like to go, you know, fish or hike and do all that stuff. So now we have kind of an excuse to stay out longer. And what's your show schedule typically like? How many shows a year are you guys at? Do 10? Yeah, typically around 10. We do all four NARBC shows. We do several of the Herbs shows. And then we did the Super Show. Yeah. And that's that's really about it. So I average about 10. But we're looking at a couple other ones. We're wanting to venture out a little bit more, hence the reason for California. We're just trying to get our names out there a little bit further and meet more people. And that just means a lot to actually get to shake somebody's hand that you've been talking to online for years. Yeah. Well, so. It seems like there's you do the Tinley stuff, you get it seems like the majority of the people that, that come in for that are East Coast. So the West Coast people just stay on the West Coast and do do the Super Show or whatnot. So we still you send a lot of animals out there. You make a lot of contacts online. You finally get to put you know face to the name and uh, and, it, and it gives other people. I always look at every show as a marketing expense. You're not always going to go in there and be extremely profitable, but people are getting to see your animals and how you take care of them, how you display them. And that that comes back on you in the long run. Other than that, all you're seeing is is pictures or. Um, you know, we don't, we don't do the YouTube like we should. Um, I mean, like how you call it, YouTube. Anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. YouTube. <laughs> she's, well, she's the, he's uh, not really the marketing guy though. That, that kind of falls on me, but yeah, YouTube always just falls to the wayside. Seems like we always want to do more videos, but then we get busy with animal maintenance or traveling or whatever else, you know, and then 
at the end of the day, we like to have a little bit of downtime to go fishing or take the kids out to go do something. So, I mean, the YouTube just always seems to take the back burner. The YouTube. The YouTube. Um, the YouTube. <laughs> and, uh, well, I mean, it's hard to. You have people that specialize in certain things. Uh, you know, like we did did the podcast with, with Chris Eaton. You know, that's that's his thing. I can't try to pick that up. I mean, uh, fix that. Yeah. you know, our specialty is, is animals. You know, that's that's really maintenance and care is and i do all the ultrasounding and most of the breeding and stuff like that and then she's able to really hammer home on the customer service and mm -hmm. and making sure if we put an animal out there that everybody has the knowledge they need and tools they need to take care of it and be successful so i mean that's really that's our our juggling act right there um and then as far as you know trying to further that marketing and promotion you know you've got this podcast and you're doing a hell of a job with it. Why would I come and try to improve anything else? There's already, you know, you already have it established. Yeah. Yeah. And I think yeah. at the end of the day, as someone who breeds snakes as well as I've tried to do YouTube and podcasts and all that stuff, it's quite frankly, I mean, eventually I'm going to fall off with YouTube or the podcast because the animals have to come first. And if they're not, I mean, that's certainly an issue. Yeah, definitely. So I have to ask about the Super Show. Is it as big as Tinley? What's the comparison there? Honestly, my honest comparison <laughs> is I think the venue is big. It's really hard to compare square footage, but it's more, you can see all of the room, unlike Tinley where it kind of curves around. But I think if you were to compress the vendors like they are at Tinley, and I'm not saying it's tight by any means, but it can get a little elbow Congest to elbow. Congested. Yeah, it can get a little congested whenever it's really busy at Tinley. And in comparison, the Super Show is more spread out. The aisles are a lot bigger, and I think that's great. But I think it gives it the appearance that it's bigger, and it may not necessarily be bigger. So it's hard to really say without looking at the facility, like the blueprints and stuff, but it just seems like Tinley is bigger yeah. overall. And I mean, you're looking at that. That's a new show in a new location for them yeah. or whatever. So that was the first time in Anaheim. So I don't know if it was different in Pomona or whatnot. I hate to judge it after just doing it once. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was spread out, uh, but the vendor, I guess, if you go to Tinley, you're looking at a lot of animal vendors. Up here, it was a lot. There was a lot more dry goods, mm. so it's. I don't know. It was a different show. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I see that you guys also do like the herp shows and stuff like that. I mean, that's something to where. Uh, I mean, Sean does a great job of getting all the vendors, you know, involved and being good to the vendors. And I think that we're seeing kind of more of a shift of. Uh, people running their shows that way and i mean it's fun to and i always like to hear about like what the space is you know between vendors and stuff like that because that's stuff that we care about and complain about uh when we're at shows every single day and i think that really just runs the gamut from being really spread out to really congested we've vended a little bit of each because we've had shows where there's four or five feet of space in between in the aisles and it's just too congested so you have to find that happy balance i think with the venue being as big as it was and it being a bigger venue, they did do a really good job of kind of spreading everything out evenly. So I think that was a big plus. There's plenty of room for people to walk around and interact. Um, there were, I was surprised because there were a lot of dry goods vendors. There were a lot of tanks and supplies and 
arts and crafts type of stuff. So it really wasn't just a super ball python heavy show. I mean, there were a fair share of ball python people too, but there were retic people and boa people and all sorts of stuff too. So I think there was a good selection. I was very, surprised. Very that, few colubrids though. Yeah, very few colubrids. <laughs> um, I was surprised there weren't more animals though, because typically the animals outweigh the dry goods and it wasn't really the case here in my opinion. Yeah, lizards. Yeah, there were a lot of lizards. But people were walking around with plants and just little various containers of all sorts of stuff. So, I mean, I think overall there was a good selection, but there weren't as many animals as there usually are at a show. So, and I don't know if that's just the distance people are traveling or what the reason for that was. It could just be time of year or what people have, you know, it's kind of a tough time of year in between seasons. So, yeah, I mean, you're only a week and a half after Christmas, too. So it's kind of. Yeah, it's an interesting time for a show because most people are in between Christmas and tax time where none of us have any money. So it's kind of that interesting time to put on a reptile show where people just aren't spending a massive amount of money. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, so for, for snobby people like probably me and Ryan, uh, when, when we go to a show and we're like, oh, it's a ball python show and we complain and we bitch about it. Um, is that typically a good or a bad thing for you guys? It really depends. I mean, we have some, quote, ball python shows that we do really great at, and we have others that we cover expenses and we do okay. It really depends on the show and how long we've been in that marketplace. Like, for example, NARBC Arlington is one of our best shows, but we've been vending that show for several years now, whereas Tinley is a newer show for us where we've been up there just the last few years. So there are certain marketplaces for us that are still building and we're still kind of expanding out to that area. So that there's a lot of different factors that determine that. So, I mean, and unfortunately for us, ball pythons is mostly what we do. We have a couple other species, but right now, I mean, those species are not far enough along in our projects to really be much production wise. So ball pythons kind of carry the weight for us. For the record, I'm not saluting this. <laughs> so I guess it's just you. Just joking. I'll just take joking. it. So as far as uh, how you got started, we kind of got ahead of ourselves. But I mean, who got into snakes first? <laughs> and was there a convincing process there? How'd this go? Well, whenever we met, we both went through a divorce. So whenever we met, we were both a little salty and like, oh, we're not doing this again. And we're just friends for a while. And then stuff happens. She wore me down. <laughs> stuff happens. And we started dating and the rest is history. But yeah, I mean, I've done the snakes for about 13 years now. And we've been together for a little over four, almost five. So it's been a fun process. I mean, he wasn't really into snakes whenever we met, but I mean, never he really have, didn't have much of a choice. I, I never would have thought of it. I mean, she had a pretty decent collection at the time we got together, but that was just kind of her thing and never had them as a kid. I mean, I raised everything else. If you could eat it, I grew it and, uh, you know, dogs, cats, all that other stuff, but never reptiles. And well, slowly over time, you know, I started, you know, figuring them figuring them out basically while she was gone. You know, I didn't want to be giant puss 
in front of her. So <laughs> wait till you know she's at work, and then get them out, play them a little bit, and figure them out. And hey, you never told me that. Well, that's what I try to try to tell people at the shows too. They're they're scared about it. You know, with a dog, you know, hair goes up on its ass. You know, it's pissed off. You know, snakes are the same way. You just have to figure out what those ticks are. Um, and then I really, once I started getting interested in the genetic side of it, is really when uh, we kind of took it to the next level as far as numbers and investment. Well, that yeah. kind of got to happen in your lab because I got called up to go on deployment back in 2017 and I had nine days notice to pack up all my shit and leave. So it was one of those phone calls where I'm like, hey, babe, I'm looking at leaving and it's going to be all you. So he's like, cool. So he really didn't have much of a choice after that. He, he got the hang of it really quick, kind of by necessity. Well, and at that point, too, I mean, it was really we were spending 40 or 50 hours a week on it when you left yeah i mean it was a, a full-time part-time business at that point and so we were still both working full-time jobs i was that's all i did i went to work came home cleaned animals <laughs> uh we well we did a lot of what google drive on that stuff i'd ultrasound yeah. upload stuff on google drive she'd put it in spreadsheets and then send me a message or an email with here's what needs to be paired for priority females and i think we had what 88 clutches that year yeah holy shit oh, really crazy <laughs> so yeah and then she got home like just in time i think i was like i don't know 20 20 or 25 clutches into the season when she got home so then and we had like 20 that month that she got back so yeah and i mean ryan rumley who you had on before is a good buddy of mine and and he helped out um here and there well i guess he helped me out psychologically because you know he's like do you want me to come help you clean and i said no because at that point i just want to get out of the house see <laughs> one day a week to wait you know i can talk to somebody so i never thought ball. ryan would help anyone with their psychology but i'm glad well <laughs> oh shit. he's good he's good to make fun of and drink beer with so. <laughs> there you go so it seems like i mean obviously anya's been doing this for 13 years or so but you guys have really brought it to the next level as of late i mean was it taking that trajectory or was like matt a help in that no matt was a huge factor in that because whenever we met i had under 100 snakes and i mean now we're several times that so i mean it was a really big pushing factor because i was kind of doing it on the hobby level hey i like to do this but i'm not really like out to just make a living from it so as far as taking it to the next level as a business, Matt was a huge, huge pushing force in that. Cause he's like, Hey, if we're going to spend 70 hours a week doing this, we should ought to make a little bit of money and not keep everything that we make. So that that's, was, that's still a struggle. A big help. <laughs> we'll always be our own biggest customer. That's kind of my downfall, but you gotta live a little. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's go ahead. You, you come to this point where, I mean, for me, at least with, with my snakes, I'm super emotional with what I keep and what I don't keep. And therefore I'm not making a business decision. I need Melissa, who's all about business because she doesn't give two shits about what morph something is. She's just like, <laughs> how can we make money? So it's nice to have that pushback. So like Melissa's that for me. And I wonder if you guys have a little bit of that dynamic too. You you have to have that balance. It's, it's more me that pushes, I will say, but... For sure. you're, you're at the point we waited we waited long enough to, to make the move we both do this full-time now 
and we've never been in the position where I have to sell an animal that I absolutely love in order to make a mortgage payment. And I think that's the trouble. Everybody comes into this and thinks I'm going to buy 30 female breeders and I'm going to be able to make a living. You really have to build up to it. Can it be done? Yes, not with 30. I mean, you have to have some quantity there to be able to improve your stock and still have enough to supply other people that are interested in those projects. So it's really, there's a lot, a lot of work. I mean, we, we still, I mean, I was, we were probably doing a hundred hours a week each for a long time before we said, okay, there's, there's enough here for us to do this. And we've set up our life. So we live pretty frugally as it is. I mean, I mean, our, our bills, especially after being in California, Arkansas living is extremely cheap. So, you know, we're, we're fortunate on that. I bought property when I was younger too. So we've got some rental income. We've got affordable health care through the military with her. So, I mean, you have to, nowadays, you have to have some type of health insurance. It just, it really worked out for us, but it just took us a while to get here to where we felt comfortable enough that we're still going to be able to eat at the end of the day if we go a month and a half without making a sale. So, I think it's important to ask just because I see a lot out there as far as the ball python market goes. And it seems like a lot of this, like buy the hottest morph, you know, all you got to do is breed like 10 of them to get your, your money back and you'll be rich, blah, blah, blah. But it seems like you guys have a very easy balanced approach. And I mean, how can someone start? And I'm, you guys obviously weren't working on wall street spending $50,000 on one snake. So, I mean, how does a normal human being with normal income start a business like that? I mean, really it takes time more than anything. I see so many people want to just buy up a bunch of adults and all of a sudden they're breeding, but you, you have to build up the fundamentals. You have to learn the animals. You have to learn how they tick and learn how to properly take care of them. It's not something you can really, most people can't dive in head first and be, entirely successful there's going to be bumps along the road for anybody just like there have been a lot of bumps for us don't get me wrong there's... but we started off really slow i mean we started off with just basic incomplete dominant genetics and added recessives i mean adding recessives i think is the number one biggest move that has been most beneficial to us overall because now we're we're focusing not only on recessives but double and triple recessives and that's what really sells more than just pastels and spiders and bananas and stuff like that and i mean we do sell a lot of the ingredients it shows but as far as really keeping us afloat it's those recessive those long-term projects that really pay the bills for us so that's that's what i recommend to anybody starting out is take the time to learn take the time to maybe go after the longer projects not only just the instant gratification projects that's that's the key right there that's the best advice i could give anybody it sounds like a lot of exactly exactly and it it's not a it's not a quick payday you really have to work at it and really have to be smart about it you have to spend a little bit of money i mean you can't i hate to put it that way but we always tell i mean we do payment plans on stuff and we're real flexible you know at the end of the day you're dealing in a product that people don't have to have um so we try to be flexible but i mean the way i mean our core collection runs you know 400 450 animals now and I like everything that's in there, but I'm the one that's cleaning all that shit. And if I don't like it, I don't want to clean that shit anymore. Then it can be sold. So, you know, if, 
if you only have 300 bucks and the animal you want 600 give me a deposit pay me out over the month get the animal that you want that's going to help you out in the long run instead of oh i can go buy four pastels you know look at the financial return on it and it's just not going to be there so i don't know that's just kind of how we approached it if if it's a hot new morph that's that's great um i kind of we have a personal cap of what i like to spend and where i feel comfortable that i can still produce what i want out of a new morph or a new project or have a direction to go with it and still you have different tiers you know i'm going to have a few customers in that the two to four thousand range you get closer to a thousand you've got a little bigger clientele but the majority of our animal sales you know that three to five four to eight numbers real yeah. comfortable number for a lot of people and you're still getting a really that's why i try to tell people even at shows you know my, my animal might cost more in five years i'm still going to be here to answer your question but i also will pay twice as much for a new morph if it's that much better than what's out there so you're going to get a breeder quality animal even if you're getting a pet so because there as you well know there's a lot of diversity between you know morphs or whatever you've got even with just well i hate saying pastel all the time but you've got really nice pastels and you've got ugly pastels yeah that's a good example so yeah I, I, it's fun as someone who is not as involved anymore just to see how far those morphs have come i mean since pastels used to be just drab a little bit better than brown and now they're amazing yeah and that's where it comes back to taking care of yourself i see see a lot of people that surprises me they'll buy into something and then as soon as they produce a combo they sell it because they need to pay for that project i'm not going to sell that you're you're going to have to wait a year because i'm holding back all those female <laughs> i'm going to improve my stuff first i mean there was that was the reason i bought into that project is i want to continue to improve it um so yeah i take a little hit on it on the front end and i'll recoup a little bit year two uh but by year three and four now i have a new combo that's going to pay for it tenfold because it's just not out there there'll be fewer you know you're putting it in like she said recessive projects um i don't know you just have to we try to look further along the, the picture and you're still trying to do what you want to do and hope enough people still follow your interest to, to support you and make sure you can eat yeah like you, said, you can't shoot yourself in the foot on projects i mean you have to kind of plan to keep some of the best stuff back at least for the first year or two just to raise up your your better adults because if you're not improving your adults year to year then you're just you're treading water you're eventually going to be left behind and i mean that's what we do every year is move out a certain number not any set number necessarily but we move out the lower end males and the lower end females each year and they may not even be low end in the in the grand scheme of things but they're just animals that we no longer need in our projects and we have to make space for the up and coming holdbacks yeah over time you eventually catch up to where the market's at and you'll find that you're you're letting stuff go that's actually it's still relevant uh it's still current but you're already you're there because you you didn't sell that female or you didn't sell that male the first year you produced it. So. I like to call that the Justin Kabilko effect. <laughs> but you, but seriously though, if you look at the yeah, stuff wait, that- Wait he, two years and then all of a sudden it's a new project, but here's something new. Yeah. He's but good. seriously, he's brilliant though, because even the adults that he sells, I mean, if you look at his master list, he has some really awesome adults that he's selling. But then if you look at the stuff that he's working on, it's completely next level. So I think that's kind of the point or the 
yeah i mean that's the end goal that's what where we're trying to go because i mean we're not we're not sitting on triple visual females at this point. I mean, we're still, we still have a ways to go to get there, but I mean, you have to work towards a goal and that frankly is our goal to be able to sell the stuff that people are still after. So. You see that stuff a lot where people will get a project, they say they'll get a pair of head tri-stripes and they produce that visual and they're like, they got to pay for that project right away. So they'll sell their visual thinking they'll still be safe. And then a founder animal passes away or something and then they've shot themselves in the foot at that point. Yep. See it a lot. Um, That was that was big too. I mean, we produced an Axanthic Desert Ghost last year. Uh, At that time, it was the and it still may be the only male double visual that's out there. So obviously there's a lot of people contacting you wanting to buy that and you're talking substantial amount of money. I we mean, could have sold that animal six times over, but then again, you shoot yourself in the foot. At, because... at that point, you might as well take everything I've got in the project, you know, because yeah, you could, you could get 30 or 40,000 for that animal once, but over the course of the next decade, you know, especially when those animals are say three or 4,000 and you're, you're selling 10 of them a year you're, you're talking about hundreds at that point so if you if you're looking at it as a financial standpoint which i don't know i guess that's the biggest thing about going into this make sure you're financially set and you're not having to sell something you don't want to in order to make sure you eat or pay a mortgage at the end of the day yeah i think most people probably start with babies and then you hit year two or three and you're feeding animals that aren't producing and stuff like that. And that's a tough spot to be in too. So, I mean, you've got to kind of at least have a job that can cover that at the very least. Yeah. Cause I mean, you're going to get some expenses before you start making money. I mean, that's how over, well, I guess the way we built it up is everything we, when we really ticked it over, I guess, whatever we sold for animals, we put back into better stock. We paid for all the food, all the caging upgrades, uh, the facility photos you see, all that was out of pocket. So, a lot out of pocket. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying it was cheap, but I mean, that's where it came from. And lucky enough, I mean, I used to do some construction work. So everything that's in there that was built up is mine. But um, I mean, that's just how we did it. And finally, you get to the point where, okay, yeah, now we're turning a profit. And, uh, you know, we took that money and we went out and bought some land. So now we've got nine acres. We're working on building a new shop and we can move out to the to the county and get, get away from people. <laughs> and and that, with us specifically, we got to the point where we were producing most of the animal or most of the projects that we were interested in, in pursuing. So as far as bringing in new stock, yes, we do on occasion, but it's not by any large number anymore i mean we'll we'll pick up an animal here and there if it's something that we think is really special or something we'd like to add gene wise but as far as all the new stuff i mean there's a lot of new genes that come out every year and i'm a little hesitant to just jump on new projects right away i kind of like to see how they play out and what potential they have before we spend just a large amount of money on something new so we are cautious on what we bring in and what animals we buy to add to the collection because i mean at this point if we bring something in then something else may have to go and it we have to kind of think about okay is that worth it if we bring this in and have to sell off something else yeah we're capped out yeah we don't have a whole lot of extra space (laughs) so we have to be really careful about that but i mean i do like that we're at the point where we can be really selective and we don't have to just buy something every month that i don't want to clean any more animals like (laughs) 
it's, it's enough as where it's at. So it's so is it just you guys doing all the maintenance it's, and everything? Yeah, it's just us. I mean, like we like he said, Brian was helping us out before he went overseas, and but for the most part, I mean, it's just us. So it's whatever yeah. we can handle, and if it's too much to handle, then we need to downsize. Yeah, summer months you get little little kids are busy cleaning, yeah, hatchling shit, and so that helps out a little bit sometimes. But you bribe the kids into helping out for candy money. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what they say. Do I get paid for this? And no, you get fed. (laughs) (laughs) So is that something as far as going forward in the future? I mean, you said you don't really want to go much bigger, but do you think eventually you get to that point where maybe you want to expand or get employees or? Honestly, no, I like, I like having it at the level where we are. And actually I'd like to kind of go in the opposite direction where we trim a couple projects and really focus on the projects that we really like. So, I mean, our, our future plans are actually to downsize a little bit and still continue to do it by ourselves. I mean, I don't, I mean, not saying employees aren't great, but I just, I I don't know if I've just seen too many horror stories or what, but I'm reluctant to trust somebody to, take care of everything because nobody takes care of your stuff like you do so well and you lose touch like with her. it too i mean if, if you're not cleaning that animal you're not seeing certain ticks i mean we're, you're out there all the time i can tell okay even in between an ultrasound rotation okay that female's starting to move towards her water bowl you know there's there's certain indications there that most people aren't going to see or you know just little ticks like that or so how do you guys go about breeding i mean is it something that is because i know so many people are doing it year round now is it seasonal for you guys or is it year round yeah or no not seasonal for us we breed year round now because it used to be the october through march or april breeding season and now we we have so many females that are going that it's hard to just cram them into a six-month time frame because they don't all read the book and follow the rules you know so now, I mean, because this year we're breeding around 170 females. So, I mean, we have we have eggs in the incubator right now. We have females that are ovulating, females that are getting ready to lay eggs. I mean, we have them on every every step of the way right now, and it, it lasts pretty much year-round. Now, during the summertime, that's when it gets a little bit easier for us as far as the breeding because we're not really pairing just a whole lot. You still have the residual females that are laying eggs but it, it does slow down a little bit during the summer months you're just hatching all kinds of shit out and sending yeah summer is our busy time <laughs> with the babies and the kids and stuff so it just i don't know it comes in waves it comes in seasons still but as far as breeding season itself it's year round it's hard to i mean it's hard to not get to that point yeah and are you guys breeding your own rodents as well no no we feed mostly frozen <laughs> thawed and after talking to more people, it seems like that that seems to be the exception where a lot of people feed mainly live. We feed frozen thaw and we have them shipped in just because it's kind of like the YouTube thing. <laughs> you know, we we focus so much on the animals. It's hard to dedicate the amount of time to a rodent facility that that would take in order to sustain our collection. So it's it, it may cost more to get them shipped in, but it's just kind of the trade off for us. Now, in the future, if we were to hire an employee, that's probably what would end up happening is they run the rodent building and then we run the snakes. So that that's something that we may look at doing later on. And do you guys have to because I mean, I'm sure you have problem uh, 
hatchlings and stuff like that. I mean, do you guys have to get in a certain amount of live from a local source? Yeah, we do have to go pick up live. That local source isn't always consistent. Not very local. <laughs> it never is. Our well. local source is Big Cheese, honestly. I mean, and that's I mean, that's almost about the closest big supplier to us, and that's almost five hours. And that's what we'll do. Like the heaviest part of hatchling season, it's it's very rare that we have a hatchling that after two lives I can't get it to take a frozen. So we'll go down and get a good quantity because it's a ten hour round trip. To go down there but we'll save money on shipping pick up more frozen and so forth like that uh you know and get enough hoppers to last for a few weeks or whatever you may need uh, but i mean i'd still say 95 percent of our hatchlings we get to start on frozen thought so you know for some people they say oh i can never do that it takes too long this or that the hatchlings yes they take a little longer it's not horrendous the core collection you know what do we we feed off probably well 300 350 rats i guess when we do rat day and we between the two of us it's like two hours yeah if that, hour and then we and feed half. off just as many mice and we split it up we have rat day and then we have mouse day so it's kind of self-explanatory all the big stuff eats on one day and then we feed the hatchlings on right. a different day and that's that's our way to kind of split it in half and make it not such a crazy evening yeah because i know i posted a video at some point on there which kind of semi frowned upon it's not for anything like that i just set the phone on top of you know we use run ars for freedom breeder rack so i set it up on like one of the top shelves and i think i fed off like 10 rats and under I don't know a minute 10 or two minutes or something like that just to say hey it can be done i mean they they pound it i use i go in there with a hook and tongs and get it done yeah so. there's hardly any hesitation with most of them i mean if they're in chat or something they may turn it down but i mean they eat just as well as they would on live so it just it's a matter of preference it's a matter of okay well where do you want the difficulty to be you know it's not that hard to set them out and warm them up for us also, I feel like it gives you a better, uh, gives the customer a better animal as far as it, you know, your animals are going to be under $500. I mean, most of those people aren't going to have rodents at home readily available. So it's easy to be able to say, you know, it's on frozen thawed. And it really depends on the customer. I mean, a lot of our customers do appreciate the fact that they do take frozen thawed. The screen went off again. Um, we have some customers that will buy them and start feeding them live right away, and that's that's okay. It's their prerogative. But I think I think for the majority of our customers, it is a huge convenience that they will take frozen thawed and they can not make weekly trips to the pet store to sit on live rodents. Yeah, and it helps with the overseas shipments too. Yeah, because shipping to Europe, I, I don't know if it's a law there, or I know they, they really don't feed a whole lot of live there, so that does help in that respect, too. Yeah, I believe it's illegal in the UK to feed off live. Is that right, Ryan? You might know. Yeah, it is. It's well, it's not illegal, but it's like you have to like go through everything you can before you go to like a live feeding, because I talked to a lot of the retail keepers, and they mentioned how they'll have to go through and do all like the rat and then scenting with the chicken or whatever it'll be like a matter yeah. of life or death yeah, that's exactly it's like the last <laughs> yeah. scenario is be life eating yeah exactly wow well that sucks for ball python breeders <laughs> over there but uh <laughs> do you guys though have any other tricks to get them on because you guys have super success getting them on frozen thought i mean are, do you have any little tricks Really, the way we have things set up is we feed the hatchlings mice starting out. And I know a lot of people will run away from that. They're like, oh, no, don't feed them 
mice are going to get stuck. I mean, I disagree wholeheartedly because all of our switchover, we've only ever had maybe two animals that took, that gave us a little bit of a hard time switching. But even then you can scent the rats with mice and they switch right off. They just want that little bit of mouse smell on there. Um, so really starting with mice is a big thing, I think, because mice just have that smell that they love so much. Um, we don't feed ASFs at all. I know a lot of people do. A lot of people that we talk to raise ASFs. Um, but yeah, just mice and rats. And um, we feed mice up until they're about 350 grams, and then we'll switch them over to weaned rats, and they eat rats from there. Um, and again, for the couple that don't want to switch over. We just put the rub the mouse bud on the rat head and they, they seem to take it. And after a couple feedings that way, they switch over to rats, no problem. So we've, we've seen a lot of success that way and that's what works for us. Yeah. And the same, I mean, even then, if you have a few, few tougher ones, um, you go in with a, with a real small mouse, let them get one meal and then come back with a, with a rat pup or whatever else you've got. And, it's still a smaller meal and they're in that feed mode mm -hmm. still hungry and they'll normally take it uh, and that's typically you know once maybe twice and that's enough for them to realize that meal still tastes good too and continue on <laughs> so when it comes to having like a big collection like like you guys do well i guess it's probably moderate for maybe giant commercial breeders but i mean how much are you selling online how much are you selling at shows and do you kind of have preference between those two honestly most of our sales are online um we list our stuff not so much anymore on facebook because they've cracked down on a whole lot of that i mean we do post occasional lists on our facebook page and our instagram but most of our sales are through morph market um i'd like to get a little bit more active in the forums but again that comes down to time so most of our sales are online i'd probably say a good 60, 70% are online and then that other 30 or so it shows in local. I mean, and our local sales are pretty small. I mean, it's a very small percentage, probably 5% or so, because we're in Arkansas. And I mean, the as far as the high-end reptile market in Arkansas, it's not quite there yet. There's still a lot of people that are looking for that pet snake and they're, they still have that sticker shock of, oh, I don't want to pay more than $200 for a snake. So, there's, and there's that's okay. Few. I mean, there's some smaller guys in Arkansas that take care of that clientele that under $200. And if somebody wants something a little bit more expensive, then that's typically where we come in. But there are a couple of us in Arkansas, KDF Reptiles, Kevin and Monique Fink, check them out. They're a good friend of ours. Um, so between us and them, I mean, we're probably the two bigger people in Arkansas. And then there's some up and coming guys that are getting their stuff set up yeah i think what's what's kind of funny is that with ball pythons maybe that level is like 200 dollars. for us it's like 75 dollars, and you got to convince <laughs> someone that like 75 dollars isn't too much for a snake so that's just it's a little glimpse from the other side um, yeah. i mean that's the biggest thing is if you when you start looking at animals that are you know 100 dollars or 125 bucks or even under that for most people that are looking in that market, that's a lot of money for them. So if you have people that are looking at thousand dollar animals, which may be at the top of their line, spending six or 700 isn't so bad. So, you know, you look at the time and effort that goes into sales and I spend less time to make 5,000 than I do for, for 500. That's just the way it is. And we had to set up our, I guess our cutoffs, because we used to wholesale everything under a hundred dollars and, now, I mean, we even bumped that up to $200 this past year just because 
it seems like we spend so much more time on that $100, $75 animal sale versus a $500 animal sale, like Matt said. And, you know, a lot of people just don't necessarily do their own research. And I mean, that's okay. Some people get into it and they just decided, hey, I want to get a snake. And they're talking to people that raise them rather than sifting through Google. So, I mean, I have actually a write-up that I send people, hey, this is everything you need to set up a ball python. This is the reason why you need it. This is where you can get it. Amazon links, all that already preloaded. So that, that comes in handy. But I mean, you have to, you have to get to the point where you decide how do you want to budget your time? Either you're spending most of your time on those $200 and under sales versus spending the, the same amount of time on the 200 and above sales. And that's kind of the point we're at. We like, we're getting, we're, we're putting more focus on our higher end animals at this point and wholesaling the lower end animals yeah. just because we don't have an infinite amount of time. And it's not that we don't value those customers. It's just, we have to budget our time accordingly. We, we can't sell everything and still have any time to have yeah. with our kids. You, you know, have to live. you have to find that balance. It all comes down to balance. And right now that, that $200 mark has, has made a big difference to you. Cause at that point you're getting, a little serious or a little more serious clientele, I guess is kind of the way to put it. That they come in, they they know that's what they're going to have to spend at least. You know, if they're looking at the website or whatever. But yeah, I mean, you're you're getting that customer service to make sure that you're you're going to be successful with it. But they're willing to spend the money at that point too to get a proper setup. You get somebody that's only got fifty or seventy-five bucks. That means they don't have the hundred bucks for whatever it may take to to get their setup appropriate or make sure they can get food. Uh, so, I mean, it actually, I don't know, I'm okay with it at the end of the day. It's not, it's not like a big greed thing. It's more, you're making sure that animal is going to have a good home too. Yeah. Because so. typically people that are willing to spend a little bit more on an animal are willing to spend a little bit more on the setup and get the proper setup rather than just throw it in whatever tank they have available at home. So, I mean, that, that is a big factor too. Yeah. And yeah, anyone yeah, who's spending, yeah, yeah. you know, high amounts of money on a snake, probably has kept one before i'm assuming most times but you'd be surprised we've seen some people that just want a nice pet almost like a designer dog some people are willing to spend two thousand dollars on a fancy dog and they don't have any plans on breeding it they're not going to show it they're not going to do anything with it but have a nice pet and there's a lot of people that get into ball pythons that just want a nice pretty yeah. pet they want a display animal or something something to talk about with their friends you know and we've there's got, definitely a very big niche for that yeah we've got a few few pet animals out there on instagram or whatever <laughs> they share around so we actually have one of our babies that we sold a few years ago i think he sold it up in kansas city and yeah. the lady started an instagram page for it it's called pd python and i think it's the cutest thing so if you guys want to check that out it's pd the ball python so, I mean, it was cool. I mean, they came in, they, and it was the same thing. And I wish more people would do that is, is take the time. This is the one I want. And it didn't, didn't matter what it costs or what it was. I mean, it was, I mean, it was like a pied head albino and this is a few years back. So it wasn't, I mean, be a great breeder male, but they had no desire for it. Uh, that's the one they liked. Uh, you know, you see that a lot. The albino pied project is, is good for if you're going to have one animal, I mean, you're spending you know, seven, eight, nine hundred bucks on them right now, depending if you're getting male or female. But you've got, if I'm going to have one animal that I'm going to show off to friends that come by, that's pretty badass. Uh, 
mean, you're looking at a double recessive project that, you know, still cool to me. But. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Sounds like demons are screaming when we both talk at the same time. But <laughs> go ahead, Ryan. And I was about to say, just, you know, I mean, nothing beats is for somebody who wants a pet ball python. I mean, even when I was younger, I mean, a pied, uh, a blue eyed leucistic, or a super fire, I mean, those are standout pet snakes you could have. So I could definitely see why people would like flock to that kind of stuff. And the, the bells are still huge. Everybody asks for them and we don't produce them. Yeah, every single show, people ask, hey, do you have leucistics? And we just, we don't ever try to produce them because most of our, most of our leucistic maker animals are clowns or het clowns. So if we're making leucistics, they're probably going to be clowns too. And you just, you can't get your value back out of that if you can't see what they are yeah. behind the leucistics. Yeah, so you're, just, you're breeding $6,000 worth of animals to sell $300 snakes. Yeah. So. So we're just we're past that point in our collection where we're making leucistics. And I mean, I've thought about just getting a couple animals just to make leucistics because they're great. We could sell out at every show. It's just it's never been our I guess if there was a business plan, that's never been it. You know, I don't go out there saying, OK, this is what I'm producing. I'm producing it to sell everything that's in our collection is there because it has a purpose. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not doing if there's a pairing that's where that entire clutch is going to be sold you know, I really have no desire in it. And that's actually how we determine what animals we sell every year is, okay, what is our plan for this clutch? Are we breeding to have any holdbacks for us? Or are we breeding just for sales? And if typically if the answer is that we're breeding just for sales, those animals are ready to move out because that's not our, that's not our goal. That's not our end game. So we're consistently trying to produce better and better animals in our stock and in our projects. And once those animals are not accomplishing that goal, it's time for them to move on to someone that has better plans for them. So that's really kind of what guides us in the right direction. That in space. <laughs> space is a pain. Yeah, space is a pain. But it's it seems like you guys are into a bunch of different diverse projects and everything. And I mean, the blue eyed leucistic is beautiful, but it's, I'm sure a dead end if you're trying to, you know, do what you guys are doing and further genetic products and make new things. Yeah. I mean, our, our biggest projects right now are all double recessive projects and we're working on a couple different triple recessives too, but that's, I, I get that's kind of a long shot. That's more for fun for us, but our meat and potatoes is double recessive projects. And that's where our emphasis has and will always be, mm -hmm. at least for the foreseeable future. We work with clown really heavy pied, Hypo, Puzzle, Desert Ghost, those are probably our cornerstone projects. And then we have a little bit of VPI, Xanthic, uh, Ultramel, I'm trying to think yeah. what else we have. We have a bunch of different recessive projects, but those that I mentioned are probably our biggest projects so far. And we're, anytime we have something new coming in, especially females, we're always, okay, what can we, what can we put with this that's going to make it next level? What recessive male do we have that, that we can cross this to that's going to further that goal? So that's, that's kind of the fun part is we already have a lot of those recessives established. So anytime we bring in something new, we already have animals to put with it to kind of start that new next level thing. Yeah. And when you're making heads to a constant flow of, you know, virgin females helps yeah. too. Uh, notice that a lot. I mean, if you get anything from us, you know, the genetics are a hundred percent, you know, if we breed, 
oh, if we were making double head hypopides, there's going to be a hypo male that's going to a pied female that was going to be a virgin, and she's only ever going to see hypo males, you know, until the day she leaves or goes to a different project. And at that point, it, it wouldn't matter. You see a lot of people that, oh, I'm going to breed, I bought a pied female, and now I'm going to breed her to this to make double heads. And you go, well, wait a minute. Hold on a second. You know, what did it go to before? And there's a lot, oh, I didn't think about that. You know, sperm retention is a huge thing. Yeah, um, you have to be super careful with recessives because I've heard of them retaining sperm for up to three years. And we've had it happen to where they retain sperm from the previous year's male. And luckily, they stay in the same project. If the female ever leaves a project, she goes to an incomplete dominant male the next year. So if you still get combos from the previous male, it's pretty easy to tell. Yeah, our documentation is thick. Yeah, we have a very detailed system of how we track everything every year. It comes down to Excel spreadsheets for me, but it's we have a, we start a new one every year, and we I can tell you everything that female has ever been introduced to, when they locked, when they were paired, I mean, whenever she laid, when she ovulated, all of that, and I think that's crucial, especially for people that are working with recessive genes, and a lot of people don't really think it into it as far as they need to because like matt said i mean they'll start crossing females with different males or they'll buy an adult female not knowing what she was paired to before and start oh i'm gonna pair her to this and it's like hold on a second you can't do that <laughs> you know yeah or you, you have matching uh matching genetics going in you know bringing a pastel leopard hypo to or and then the next male they put in it could be a pastel leopard clown there's there's no single morph there that you can identify that okay this one came through so this male is the one that took that clutch so and for us i mean taking the time to properly do your paperwork on that like she said when we pair an animal up it gets it gets documented and then if you ask me when it shit unless it was post ovulation i don't know when it shit i don't know when it shit but that's the last time i cleaned it you know that doesn't make that yeah, we keep track of what we need to, but it, I mean, we don't get ridiculous with it. I mean, we don't track sheds unless it's around breeding season and the female's about to ovulate. Um, we don't track when they pass a bowel movement, stuff like that. Shit. I mean, you, you have to <laughs> figure out what's important and track the stuff that's important. Again, it comes down to budgeting time. Whenever you have a larger collection, you have to decide, okay, are these numbers that are important for me to track or can I spend the time doing something else that's gonna be better for my animals? So it's it all comes down to a balancing act. Right. And, that's, and that's for everybody. It's not a cookie cutter thing. I mean, everybody's situation is different. You have to decide, okay, these are the methods that work best for me, and this is what my animals need. And something Absolutely. that I thought was interesting as far as like the documentation, it seems like obviously I mean that's very, very nice to have as a buyer so that you know what the hell you're buying, but also it's establishing trust with the customer. So like, like you mentioned before, I mean, someone off the street, I'm guessing can't just sell a $5,000 ball Python, even if they produced it. So, I mean, what is kind of that process out as far as like building trust within the community and being able to sell like those high, higher dollar animals? I think That's a lot of that time comes into play big time. Like you're, yeah. you're saying you can't, you can go drop a lot of money, which people have, and then you have a great collection, but it still takes time to, Put, get your name out there in some consistent years of here's what you're producing, actually getting to see the quality of the animal, you know, at a venue and then 
continuing on from there, you can add to it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that is just being able to market yourself. And that's something that we're still trying to improve on. I mean, we're not the greatest out there by any means. But I mean, for us, marketing means talking to people online, talking to people at shows, traveling around and meeting new people and getting your name out there and visiting with people and not only trying to sell people stuff, but also helping them with problems that they have. Like we have people contact us all the time saying, Hey, my ball Python has issues with this or that. What can I do? How can I make this better? And I mean, we'll spend an hour on the phone with them troubleshooting. Okay. You know, walk me through your setup, walk me through this. Here, here are the things that you can do to fix that. So that I think goes a lot further than just selling people an animal and, all right, thanks. Bye. You know, <laughs> so that, I saw you guys at the show and I bought this from somebody else. They're not answering their messages. Will you help me? So, yeah, I mean, I think that one thing goes further for us than any animal we've ever sold. I mean, it's just that being there for people and being there to answer the phone all hours of the day. I mean, I, I can't count the number of times I've been answering morph market messages or Facebook messages at one o'clock in the morning. You know, if I'm up, I'm answering messages. Matt's like, hey, who are you talking to? I'm like, morph market. Yeah. I'm usually a bit, a bit busted. <laughs> and we work different shifts. I get up early. She sleeps in. She yeah. go to bed at three in the morning. I'm up at, like, I'm up at like 730 every day, no matter what. So just built in clock. So you have to be willing to get out there and not only meet people, but be an open book and help people with issues. And I mean, for some people, it's making YouTube videos. For other people, it's going to shows. So you just have to find what what section of the hobby works for you. You know, for us, it's talking to people on the phone and going to shows. That's not so much making videos as much as I'd like it to be sometimes. It's just it comes down to time and what we have availability for. I mean, as far as making a phone call, that's easy. I can clean I can clean shit and talk to customers all day long or talk to people all day long. It's just making a video. You have to set aside a chunk of time and yeah. kudos to those that have it. I, I commend you big time because I wish that we had more time for that. And really, I mean, every time we do a show, it's, it's nice if you make money, but it's that marketing expense. Um, really at the end of the day, just like any business, word of mouth is your, your greatest investment of time. I mean, one of the worst shows I ever had resulted in one of our best customers. Yeah. I mean, he uh, consistently, you know, talked to him on a regular basis. He's he's continued to move forward. I mean, this is, you know, one animal he purchased since then. Any, you know, friends, family in that area that, you know, he's talked to or getting into it, everybody comes to us. So, I mean, you're looking at that just, you know, like a tree branch going out and, uh, you know, that's, that's the greatest feeling right there is that somebody's willing to, to put you out there. You know, they have that, you have your trust. Uh, once you build that relationship, and that's really, I think, why Arlington is our best show is you build that customer base that when they're ready to make another purchase, they're, they're coming back to you every October and, and you get, you know, 10 or 15 customers that are coming back. That really makes for a great show. Yeah, so it seems like you guys, as far as going to shows, you guys are still uh, willing to talk to people and do all that stuff. Not everyone is willing to do that. So can you talk a little bit about how to kind of present yourself in a show setting? 
So number one Don't thing. Don't be a dick. <laughs> That's well, what she tells me. It comes naturally. But really, first thing for a show is have a nice, clean setup. I cannot emphasize that enough because so many people are just like, okay, well, I'm going to throw it in a deli cup and everything's going to be great. But then... You know, if you put if you don't put the effort into your show presentation, it, it kind of, you know, it, you don't come across like you put in the effort at home. Like and my biggest my biggest example is if you have animals with stuck shed at a show, what does that mean for what your animals look like at home? And I see that so often with people. I'm not even going to name any names, but people at shows have animals that just look terrible or they have stuck shed or they haven't eaten like they just hatched. Why bring that to a show? Why is that the product that you want to give to your customers? Yeah. Because it's almost asking for issues. Well, we had a few people this show, too, that that came by and, you know, they purchased one at a show and, and it died because it had never yeah. eaten. So that's we're lucky enough that they I mean, they still made a purchase and stuff like that. So they weren't completely thrown off by it, but that's not going to help the industry. You know, no. if you're not out there, people don't realize that it's it's a big pyramid at the end of the day. You know, if you don't have more people coming in, we can't continue to produce the amount of animals that we are. And a lot of that not only comes down to vendors, but comes down to promoters on I mean, Sean and Lori are wonderful. Like they are some of the best about coming around, talking to their vendors. Like we, we were talking about that on the ride back. I mean, they, they always come around. They always check on you. Hey, how are you guys doing? How are sales? Like they're, they're wonderful about that, but they also check on the quality of animals. So there's a, what's the yeah. word I'm looking for? There's a quality control. Yeah. Yeah. So, they're real big on, on animal care at the show. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, they, they don't care about who came through the door. They care about who went back out that door with an animal or a product, whatever you were selling. Because if it's not financially lucrative for you to be there, then they're going to get rid of that show. Yeah. Uh, and that's really what separates them out. It, it's not about his pocket. It's about yours. Uh, yeah. And they really, to say that they, they treat everybody like family is really I can't. I guess that's an understatement because most people treat their family like shit. Yeah, but. I love them. Uh, they're they're great. I can't say enough good things about their shows. I mean, you feel like a big family. But I mean, again, that goes back to having quality stuff at the shows and having a clean setup. I mean, there's nothing wrong with deli cups, but if you have the money to invest in a nice setup, that just goes so far because we have so many people that come by and they're like, "Hey, we love your acrylics. Everything's nice and clean. Everything's." everything's taken care of everything's well lit i mean that's the kind of stuff that we hear time and time again at the shows and that's the kind of stuff that we continue and even for the california show we talked about this this weekend because it would have been so much easier to fly our stuff over in deli cups yeah. and set up a table with deli cups and just have a couple lights but that's not that's not the appearance that we want to have for us yeah. it's different too i mean you guys deal with colubrid stuff so i mean that works in a deli container because they're a pain in the ass if you're gonna try to get a you know, a little milk snake out or something. Yeah. Oh shit! Yeah, there's some <laughs> stuff that probably wouldn't work so well in acrylics. But for ball pythons, I mean, they do they do great in acrylics. And I mean, a lot of people just don't take the time to have a nice, clean display. I mean, you can't have stuff on your table with stuck shed or just sitting in its own fecal matter all the entire show and hope that people are going to think that you're, you know, taking care of your stuff right. I mean, it just it appearance is everything. So that's the number one tip. And 
really for us, I mean, talking to everybody, I mean, even people that come by the table that you don't think are going to buy an animal, like you would be really surprised. We've had people buy animals. I never would have thought would buy an animal, but it, it comes down to cash. Yeah. And pull out <laughs> cash. So talk to everybody, engage people, say, Hey, how's it going? Don't just sit down on your, on your phone all weekend and hope that you're going to make sales. So that's, that's another big thing. And I think yeah. one of the last shows that you did, um, there were people that were complaining, like vendors that were complaining, yeah. hey, I'm not making any sales, but they were walking around the show complaining. They weren't <laughs> at their table. So it's like, what do you think is going to happen if you're not at your show engaging people and working for those sales? I mean, yeah, shows are fun, but it what it, it comes down to working. I mean, you're it's still a working weekend and you have to work hard in order to make sales because you're never going to make sales if you're just walking around bitching about it. Yeah, and it's not even sales at the show. I mean, we get we get a lot after the fact that, Hey, we went home, we thought about it. I'll, I'll pay to have this shipped in Yeah. or I want this one here, you know, and, and we'll do a lot of times we'll do payment plans at a show and then ship it in when it's paid off. Um, mm -hmm. We did one in uh, new Orleans for a guy that wanted it for a Christmas present. So yeah, give me a deposit. I'll, I'll feed it for the next, you know, whatever it was six weeks or whatnot. And, you know, you know, it's going to a good home. So we're, we're really flexible on, get the animal that you want yeah i mean payment plans are a wonderful thing i mean and we have terms in place i mean we have terms on our facebook page we have terms on our pork market and our website and those are in order to protect us and our buyer and i mean people can read through those and see exactly what we expect from them and really we've had we've been very fortunate with payment plans where people typically follow the timeline that they put in place i mean because they yeah. within we're, reason we're, we're not going flexible. we're not going out 18 months and <laughs> yeah. here's your breeder female yeah i mean as long as it's reasonable and people communicate with us i mean we've had very good luck with that yeah so i was just curious because uh, payment plans i mean is obviously something that people are usually oh, okay. pretty scared of so i just pulled up straight up what you have on your website there you and, go yeah so if you guys are interested i mean check out their website which is going to be snakeeyesexotics.com and i mean is this something that would you feel okay if people kind of based how they do their payment plans off of this because i may do that to be honest yeah, I mean, it's it served us well. It, it covers every, or we feel like we've covered every end that protects us and the buyer. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's cut and dry. Yes, certain situations always arise. You know, at the end of the day, you need to keep your power on over getting a new animal. But... Yeah, I mean, we've I'm had people still, had emergencies come up. Yeah. So, I mean, you have to be flexible. You can't be so rigid that you just don't treat people right. I mean, everybody has family emergencies, and we, we get that. So, it's not set in stone. But, I mean, it, we do expect people to stick to things that they put in place. You know, yeah. it's not a contract by any means, but well, that's respect where that, goes a long way. Well, that's where you get the non-refundable deposit in advance, you know, over the yeah. course of that 60 days. Am I making any extra money? No, because sometimes you're looking at animals that may depreciate uh, over that time and I'm putting food into it and, you know, I'm not marketing it. Now I have to market it again, updated pictures. So, I mean, you have to have something to cover that, that investment going forward. So that's just part of it. If something pops up, then, hey, you know, it, it is what it is. But uh, so far, it's, you know, every that served us well as a. Yeah. So, I mean, if people need inspiration, you guys are more than welcome to look at our terms and get ideas for your own. I mean, it's something that's worked really well for us over the years and something that we still 
kind of update as needed. I mean, if we have a situation come up that's like, okay, we probably should talk about this in our terms a little bit. But I mean, for the most part, it covers any possible scenario we can think of. And then the rest, you just, you just have to follow what feels right. You know, it comes down to treating people the way you want to be treated. And have you had any situations as far as payment plans that have brought you to this moment? I mean, you don't have to say anything particular, but. I mean, again, we've had people with emergencies come up. Hey, my car broke down. I can't, I can't do this right now. I need to get a new vehicle. I mean, okay. People's cars are always breaking down. (laughs) Their grandmas are dying. Everything's happening. Yeah. There's a lot of dead grandmas out there. Um, But I mean, you just have to do what you think is right. I mean, I'm not going to call anybody a liar. I mean, you have to, you have to go with your gut. I mean, if it feels nobody wins in that situation, yeah. you're already at the point where they're not going to send you another nickel. So it's you, you weigh out what you think is best and it's not always easy. You know, we talk about it for a little bit and, uh, and figure it out. It's but, a case by case basis. You know, we always you, talk it over and you treat see what somebody, the best option is. You have situations that come up, you treat somebody right in that certain situation. They're going to remember that moving forward. That same person can come back in a few years and, and spend six grand, even though they were looking at a three hundred dollar animal. You know, they're halfway on, and you refunded them seventy five bucks. Yeah. So people always remember the way that you treat them. I mean, if you treat people right, and I mean, every situation is going to be different. But I mean, that's where the non refundable deposit comes in. I mean, that covers us, and then we may do a store credit for the rest. Or there's times that they've had a really big emergency come up, and we do a refund. So every, every situation is different. And I mean, I don't think anybody actually goes into a payment plan thinking, oh yeah, I'm totally going to default on this and not pay it off. I mean, so you have to, you have to stay flexible. Nothing's set in stone. Nothing's rigid. Most people pay it off just fine in the terms as agreed and everything's perfect, but you have to, you have to keep, keep in mind that things may come up and you have to still treat people the I guess properly. And yeah, but it still comes down to that. Not depo- burn any bridges. That deposit until until there's PayPal or or whatever freaking money you want to send. You know that animal's still for sale. Yeah. Uh, you know, on your word, I get paid next Friday. I'm going to buy it then. Doesn't it doesn't work? You know, yeah. If you've got twenty bucks and the deposit's fifty five, send me the twenty bucks, and then on Friday when you get paid, send me the rest of the deposit. You know, show me that you're actually going to do something, mm-hmm. and then we'll we'll consider that but surprisingly enough people get upset about that sometimes we've had people complain about oh well i'm sorry i can't send you anything right now but why can't you hold it and it's just i mean the simple answer is we've just been burned too many times because for every one person that's actually serious there's 50 others that just say oh yeah i'm gonna send you money and then you never hear from them again and we've just been ghosted (laughs) too many times to to fall for it anymore you know it's just it's unfortunate but that's just society i mean people don't always do what they say they're gonna do so you have to you have to protect yourself as a business while still being fair and i think the terms of sale are something that accomplishes that very well for us and anybody that does any kind of business should have terms of sale in case issues come up and it's just something on hey this is this is right there on my website you know it, it gives you a little bit of recourse if somebody somebody has an issue absolutely and i'm sure i mean there's a lot of guys out there that are perpetually asking their wives for what snakes they can uh get which is <laughs> oh a my god fun as well <laughs> 
that is probably one. the number one thing I hear. Hey, let me go talk to my wife and I'll get back with you. Yeah. Nothing. If yeah. they Never. pretty much that's always like, dead. That's it. <laughs> I'm, I'm just at the point if somebody says that i'm like all right nice meeting you have a great day because you're never going to hear from them again yeah. almost what's her number i'll call her <laughs> you almost want to it's like that's the number one cop out it's like okay just tell me hey i can't afford this right now or hey i found something else just be honest with me but hey i'm gonna go talk to my wife is like the number one excuse nowadays <laughs> i think it kind of it kind of sucks more for you for for you guys because people ask for like weights and stuff like that. And I mean, for colubrids, people usually don't mess with that stuff, but people are asking for date of birth and weights for you guys and how often they feed. And you guys oh are held goodness. to a higher standard as ball Python people, to be honest. And yeah. that seems to always be the scenario too. They want more pictures of it. They want to know the parents. They want to see pictures of the parents. They want to know the hatch date. They want to know the current weight. They want more pictures of the animal. And then they're like, all right, let me go talk to my wife. I'm like, oh, fuck, yeah. I just spent like the last two hours gathering all that up for you, and now you're probably never going to talk to me again. You know, the pictures on the morph market, you've got three grand worth of camera equipment. So, I mean, this thing is spot on. It's going to look the same way in your hands as it does in the picture, you know, if not better. And somebody will send you the money for it or half the money, and they've got a week before it's going to be there. Well, can I get a couple more pictures of this or that? (laughs) <laughs> which way do you want to see this thing i mean am i supposed to pose with like it's a grammy or what you know and like i usually ask i'm like is there any specific angle that you want to see because i i mean you can see the entire animal in the picture we have a nice photo setup we try to put nice photos in all of our ads i mean they're not just cell phone pics at this point so i mean typically if somebody wants more pictures i'm not going to dig all my camera equipment out they're going to get cell phone pictures of whatever angle they want to see and that's okay but it just you know, I wish sometimes people would be more considerate of how much time it takes to get all that information together just for them to say, all right, well, let me go talk to my wife. You also took all that time. And I've looked on your website as well. I mean, you took all the time to basically take a perfect picture and then someone's going to ask you for a hand shot. You know, like you're going to give them <laughs> yeah. a worse picture. There's usually 30 pictures that result in one. Oh, my gosh. Anytime. And that's the reason why, like, the stuff that we have available right now, some of it's not even listed on the side just because it's been the holidays and then we've been at a show. So I still have to finish updating the site, but it just takes so much time to take those nice photos. We've put a lot of money into our cameras and our photo setup. We upgraded our photo tent in the last couple months, and we were constantly striving to make things even better. And if the animal doesn't look like it, actually does in real life then we're not doing our jobs so we've tried really hard to make those photos as close to real life as possible because the last thing i want is for somebody to buy an animal get that animal in they're like what the hell is this that's not what i bought you see a lot of you know, over embellished shit yeah i mean we do <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen some really doctored stuff. I mean, and in Photoshop, the only thing we do is crop and add a fo- or add the watermark. We don't, we don't adjust the contrast. We don't do any of that stuff. No, she like probably I'll, spent ten hours just getting the white balance right. With oh my the, gosh! Because it's all. I don't know, camera setting shit. And the white balance for us ultimately was remedied by the photo tent. We we had to upgrade our photo tent because the, the, the previous setup just wasn't cutting it. And once we improved our photography setup, there's very minimal editing on the photos. Again, cropping in a watermark just to protect our photos so you don't see somebody else using them online to sell their own stuff. 
So that's just to protect us. But I mean, for every time we take photos, there's probably a thousand photos that I dig through to get a hundred good shots. So there's, it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. And that's something that people don't really think about always. Yeah. And I mean, how many, how many animals get to the point where you actually have to take pictures of them and put them on the website? I mean, you must, do you, block that off into like a whole day or something <laughs> i wish it only took a day <laughs> um you're talking about probably a day for photos and then a, a day to actually go through the photos and crop and add the watermarks and then you still have to upload everything to the website and morph market so i mean it's it's a good chunk of time it's not something that i can throw together in a couple hours because typically whenever we upload animals to the website it, it's done in in bulk you know and and also if an animal's in shed and there, yeah there's still a couple older photos on there because if an animal's in shed i'm not going to take pictures of it in shed and where it's all dingy and dark you know it's going to get put aside and we'll take or we'll take more photos in the next round once those animals shed. So there's, I mean, there's always work to be done. <laughs> and yeah. binge watch TV while you're editing photos. Yeah, pretty much. that's our chill time. Let me edit a crap ton of photos while we watch Netflix. So. And do you mind as far as it may be a little bit in the weeds for some people, but I mean, what is your typical setup, lighting, tent, all that good stuff, camera? Um, we actually went to a photography store local to us, and we visited with the guy up there for probably an hour or two. We yeah. just picked his brain for a while and said, "Okay, this is our camera. This is what we're what we're taking pictures of." I showed him some of our previous photos. Hey, what can we do to make this better? And I mean, we went as deep as what our light tents are, what our what our lighting consisted of, whether we're using a tripod, I mean, all of the details. And he's, I mean, he made suggestions based on that because we were looking at adding yeah, adding extra lights, like portable lights and all that. What it came down to is our, our light tent was one of those cheap ones off eBay that we've had for years and years and it just wasn't cutting it because it was one of the fabric see-through ones and the light was just more light was going out than what was actually staying in and being reflected around whenever you take the photos. So, I mean, there's a certain amount of research that went into that. Are you regretting asking this question yet? <laughs> yeah, there's so much that went into that. Um, but yeah, what it came down to is just doing the research and trying to find ways to make it better. So he pointed us in the right direction. We got a new photo tent. Everything's been great since. So, yeah. <laughs> Sorry about the extra long explanation. Yeah, I almost, I almost fell asleep at the Photoshop. If that's any <laughs> Here's the debit card. Let me know what it is at the end of the day. <laughs> I think it's, it's just interesting to see, I mean, how obsessed you guys are with at least it seems to be like the little details of everything and i mean it seems like that is kind of a cornerstone of running a good operation and ultimately a good business it's an obsessive hobby i mean it's it's hard for it not to be because it's not something you can just do half ass and be successful i mean and there's so much more that goes into it than people realize i mean you have to be an amateur photographer you have to be an amateur freaking tax person i mean there's there's a lot that goes into it and it's not just oh i'm gonna breed these two snakes together and make millions so i mean just you have to kind of expect that you can't just 
put you get into you get out of it what you put into it and you can't just put a couple hours a day into it and expect to really be successful and i mean success is different for everybody success for one person may be 500 bucks at a show or for somebody else it's 10,000 bucks at a show so i mean success is relative so you just have to decide what you want your success to be and take the steps to get there. If there's something in your setup that's lacking, say you don't have enough racks for this or that, or your racks aren't really doing the trick anymore, you have to upgrade racks. I mean, then upgrade racks. You know, you may have to do that before you spend the money on more animals. And we saw some people at this show, they're like, oh, well, we're just here for supplies. We're here for dry goods. And that's great. I mean, get the stuff that you need to properly take care of your animals before you buy more animals. So that's, that's a big part of it. And if there's something in your setup that needs to be changed, change it. Like for us, it was the lighting for our photos. We, we saw it was kind of lacking and we changed it. We improved it. Yeah. You, we sit down quite often and figure out, Hey, we're, this is where we're at. Yeah. It's probably good, but where can we improve it? You know, or I'm not happy with this. This is what I want. Yeah. So if, if you're just sitting still, then everybody else is going to pass by. You have to figure <laughs> out how you're going to keep improving and pushing forward. And like exactly. she said, you, you get out of it what you put in. Uh, you know, we've we've put a lot into it. And we're starting to get a little bit back, which is nice. But, I mean, that's that's what it comes down to. Hard work and, and preservation, you know, prevails. So it's just going to – you get that back over time. Yeah, you seem to get a lot of the people like, oh, yeah, it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of mentality. But it takes a lot of people to go that little extra mile, you know, especially with your all's uh, customer service and special photography. I mean, that photography is awesome. But I was telling Joe earlier, I mean, y'all have excellent customer service. I seen you out Tenley, and I'm not even into ball pythons, but I remember just being by y'all's booth and y'all actually saying, hey, how are you doing today? Which means a lot in a big place like Tenley and stuff like that. Well, I knew you looked familiar. I mean, but that's that's a big thing. You don't know what people are after. You don't know what people do at home. I mean, you don't know any of that unless you talk to them and take the time to visit. I mean, and we talk to more people that have no intention of buying anything yeah. and that, and that's okay because those people, whenever they get older, or, you know, even kids, like when kids get older, they're like, Hey, that's the guy that let me hold a snake or, you know, talk to me or said, Hey, so, I mean, that goes a lot. And it's hard to put a value on that, on that lasting impression because if people, it's hard to, counteract a bad first impression i think everybody knows that but if you give a good first impression you're going to be the first person that those people come back to so that's really what we're after is treating people how we want to be treated because i hate walking around a show and i'm walking by somebody's table and they act like i don't even exist it's like all right well i'll just go fuck myself you know yeah. well, <laughs> it's funny because like you like you said you don't keep balls or anything we talk to everybody you'll have somebody that comes by that may be you know a retic guy or whatever and they're all oh you know fuck ball pythons and all that shit which you end up with a lot of that that crowd out there but 99 percent of them will say oh well that was pretty cool you know i don't keep them but that's pretty neat you know and that's that's why i try to tell people yeah they're easy to take care of yeah you're not they're not going to be eight foot and weigh 30 pounds <laughs> but as far as genetic diversity i mean it's 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 tough to beat yeah so yeah you know what even if you're going to have one or whatever, you know, that, that one there is pretty cool. You don't need to have 40 of them and start breeding. Just get, get one. 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's really the great thing about our industry is there's so many different avenues you can go. I mean, you don't have to be a ball python person to appreciate a ball python. You don't have to be a retic person to appreciate a retic. I talk at retics all the time because I love retics. Do I want to have one? No, not really. You know, I mean, we, we have, have to get rid of 30 animals. To... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we have our species that we're interested in. I mean, for us, that's ball pythons, of course. I mean, we also have Angolan pythons. We have Western hognose. We have some red blood pythons, which I think are bad. Yes. But I mean, those are all kind of newer. <laughs> Why are you shaking your head? Some Graham, Graham Battison said if there was a highway retic, they'd be all over it talking about you guys. <laughs> so, I mean, you just have to pick the kind of stuff that draws you in. But I mean, just because you don't keep something doesn't mean you don't have something in common with somebody else. You know, there's there's so many different species that people work with in, in the reptile industry. And I mean, there's room for everybody. So, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, we talk to people all the time that keep no ball pythons whatsoever, but they keep tortoises. So we'll talk about tortoises for 30 minutes. And I think it's cool as shit. I mean, it makes me want to have a tortoise later on, but you know, you, you never grow unless you talk to other people that are maybe doing things a little bit different than you, or maybe have some new ideas as far as what species to keep or new techniques to use. So I think that's, that's always important in our industry because I mean, especially back and that's still that another ever... that's still another blowback too, because you may talk to somebody that has a tortoise, but they've got a friend that wants a ball python, and oh well, I, hey, I know these people that do that. Yeah. So I mean, that's really back to the word of mouth thing, and and putting it out there. But yeah, I mean, we'll talk really any reptiles at any show. It doesn't make a difference. You're out there to to meet the people that are interested in the in the community that you're a part of, trying to. Yeah. And I mean, now is like the greatest time to have reptiles because I even remember back whenever I first started this, I mean, I mean, the show, first show I ever went to was Arlington. And I mean, I was a kid in the candy store walking around looking at chameleons and freaking Argus monitors. I didn't know what the hell I wanted, but I mean, now, now things are even better with the internet and the groups. I mean, you have all these different Facebook groups and those can sometimes be detrimental, but if you choose wisely, um, and then there's all the online forums, there's countless books, there's countless websites. I mean, the information is oh, out yeah. there. I mean, the information is so easy to find if you just, if you just look for it, but even, even and, just networking. And if you don't know, it, just call. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but the networking, it shows, I mean, some things you just won't see in a book. I mean, people, people have a thousand different ways of doing things and it doesn't mean it's wrong. So, I mean, we've talked to people before and they may give us an idea that we never thought about, you know, as far as maybe temps or humidity or trying a new bedding. I mean, we we moved everything to coconut years ago and have never turned back. But that was just from talking to people and kind of picking people's brains on what works for them. I mean, these ideas aren't trademarked. You know, a lot of people yeah. are more than willing to share ideas and different ways to do things. And I think that's great. I mean, the networking alone is... Is priceless for people, especially people just getting into it that maybe don't have their name out there or oh, yeah, just starting up. I mean, if you're not out there talking to people, you're just wasting your time. Because if you're just sitting in your basement breeding ball pythons and you don't ever talk to anybody or get your name out there, you're you're just kind of treading water. You're not you're not going to grow and get to that next level point. Yeah, and I yeah, think that that's yeah, something yeah. that, as far as I mean, you're talking about husbandry, but everything. I mean, as far as you need to be open to talking to different people to get different points of view, whether they keep a different species, what they keep on their husbandry can even cross over. And I feel like a lot of times, um, you know, I don't want to isolate myself to just colubrid people because I learned how to ship 
because of ball python people right and now people are excited or are happier when i ship an animal because colubrid folks aren't as thorough as you guys are so it's like that set my standard up a little bit and that's something that i gained from the ball python community basically yeah and i think people should always be looking for that for that next step they can take to not only make their animal husbandry better but to make their techniques better and maybe a customer appearance or a marketing thing i mean like we do business cards and stickers and stuff like that now if i see somebody do something then i think it's a great idea i mean we may do that too i mean that was actually i feel like we we do pretty well in the shipping but like you said there's always little ideas that run through my head too <laughs> on, on how do we improve this and i really it's got nothing to do with the animal but it's all about the presentation yeah so i mean when you get an animal from us we, we use the, the polyfill so it's sandwiched in between the you know the marshmallow that wasn't our uh, idea that wasn't our original idea um <laughs> no but i mean it 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 works best you know they're, they're in a bag and then on the top of that you're getting a business card and a sticker and then we've you know get a personalized uh thank you note in there that that's got a little bit of information of, of what you should do in the first few days of, of getting your animal and you know thanking you for the business so it's kind of that little added touch that hey we care it's not just here's a bunch of old newspapers your snake thanks for the money take care now <laughs> you know and it's and everything we ship out you know brand new box and all that stuff too um so, but it, you're always thinking in the back of your head, how can, how can I make this, how can I make this a little bit better? What, how can I stand out a little bit more? You know, cause it, there, everybody and their brother can do it. Uh, but what, what makes you different? Yeah. So, and that's really the customer service in <clears throat> for us, you know, anybody can put two snakes together, and make more, who's going to be able to answer your questions at two o'clock in the morning or you know whenever you need it hey i've got this emergency situation yeah. or or take the extra time if if you are going to keep it in a tank you know can how can i make this work and here's you know yes it's a pain in the ass yes it's frowned upon whatever blah 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 at the end of the day they're going to keep it in that tank give them the best resources possible to make it mm -hmm. functional so yeah that's where i kind of go back to the facebook groups i mean a lot of the facebook groups are full of so so-called people that have been around for a year or two and think they know everything and i'm not saying that's all of them but it seems like that's all too prevalent on facebook and social media in general i mean nobody knows everything but if you only have <laughs> if you only have five ball pythons and you've been keeping for a year and a half i mean you're not really set up to give just super knowledgeable advice and long-term advice that makes you admin yeah, I mean, that makes you happy, but it doesn't mean that you know all your stuff. I mean, but a lot of people seem to get their that hat on, and they can't seem to take it off. It gets super glued to their head. And then they're giving advice to these new people and crucifying these new people over simple mistakes that they were making six months ago. You know, and it's like people just need to get over themselves and reunite as a hobby. I mean, there's so much division in the hobby as a whole. And that's why we really don't do a whole lot of the Facebook groups anymore. I mean, I'm in a bunch of them, but we don't have time. really just kind of lurking because yeah, I don't no. have time for the drama. No, I mean, I mean if, if somebody has a legitimate question, I'll get on there and answer and post a detailed reply. But I mean, if you want to get on there and get stupid, I don't have time for that shit. Well, most of the time too, <laughs> I mean, so much of our time is taken up with just clientele. You're either answering emails for inquiries or you know, past customers having questions that we don't have the time to get on there with, with the bicker fest that's going on. And I always tell people that if, if I have time to answer 
all your questions for the next four hours on a Facebook post, then my, my doors are shut because I'm, I'm fucking broke at that point. You know, business is bad. Yeah. So, and, and I, I'm not a big fan of it anyhow. It's really, she's the, the customer service queen. Now, if you want to call and talk on the phone, I'm all about it. I can do that and continue on with my day, but I can't sit there for hours on end, send any messages on my phone. You know, funny memes and shit, one thing, but type, type it for hours is different. Yeah, but it seems like you guys, I mean, as far as the stuff coming in, I'm sure you guys get emails all the time when you have animals up for sale and stuff like that. But it seems like you're pretty much on your 24-7 answering calls, or do you have any boundaries or always? I mean, I, I turn my ringer off at night, so if it's weird hours of the night, no, I probably won't answer. But as soon as I wake up, I'm answering emails and Facebook messages and all that. I mean... I mean, we try to be very reachable, but there are boundaries. I mean, if I'm if I'm busy, I'm not going to answer the phone or if I'm if I'm sleeping, I'm not going to wake up just to answer emails. So, no. I mean, you, you have to set those personal boundaries. And, I mean, we have a family, too. We have kids. I mean, we we have things that we want to go do. So, I mean, there are boundaries with that. But we we try really try to do everything in our power to be reachable and to be there whenever yeah. people have a question or have a problem or need something or want to buy something you know the longest wait you're really ever going to have is if we're sleeping even if we're out doing something with the kids you're going to get a response within a few hours it's never like three days later or anything yeah. like that i mean it's it's still what i would consider a reasonable time frame um but yeah i mean if we're if we're doing something with the kids or we're watching a movie yeah you're gonna you'll get replied back as soon as we get back in the car and then we'll carry on but well like for example we we took the kids to disneyland after i came back from my deployment in 2018 so summer 2018 we went to disneyland and i'm walking around disneyland like typing that's like who the fuck are you talking to my email so i mean we we probably made a couple grand walking around disneyland for a week waiting in line for <laughs> splash mountain yeah exactly so i mean but people like that whenever you're you're on it and you're checking your emails and you're responding within a reasonable time frame i mean and even during the holidays like we got commended a couple times like people sending emails about animals or a general question or something and we get right back to them they're like whoa thanks that was really fast and i mean by our typical standards it wasn't that fast because we were busy <laughs> i mean we were it was the holidays like i mean we were busy running around and doing family stuff but i mean we still got back in a somewhat reasonable time frame but they were impressed because most people i guess don't don't do that i mean i, I don't know but I mean, that's really important is whenever your customers know that they can reach you if they have an issue or if they need something. Or if you're going to take the time to contact me, we're going to, you know, take the time to give you a response. Exactly. I mean, because there's there's a ton of people that do ball python, so they could message anybody else, but they chose to message us. So that means a lot to us. And we're going to do what we can in order to keep that coming, you know, Yeah. I mean, in order to keep that relationship. And it really doesn't matter what it is, too. I mean, that's that's kind of what's neat is we still care about the animal no matter what it is. So whether you're spending 200 bucks or you're spending, you know, five grand, you, you get the same box, the same thank you card, the same <laughs> customer service. I mean, that's you want it to be successful no matter how much you're spending. Now, granted, when you get into that five grand animal, they usually know what they're doing. And it's five minute transaction. Hey, can you <laughs> ship this on Tuesday? You know, what's your PayPal? Done. You know, cool. Thanks. I'll send you tracking yeah. on Monday night. <laughs> yeah, I think I think people get so caught up as far as uh, I forgot what the hell I was gonna say. But uh, <laughs> come on, Ryan, save me! What the hell? I, 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 I had a point. I'm just giving you the shovel. Let you bury yourself, okay? <laughs> 
<laughs> but I think as far as uh, emails and stuff like that go, it seems like I had like no one wanted to talk to me for like the beginning of December. Then it's like December 23rd and everyone's like, is this snake available? Like, uh, and everybody kind of... wants the same one. Yeah, <laughs> dude, I literally today, it's like no one cared about this snake when I hatched it in July. All of a sudden, people, you know, there's three people and you got to juggle with like, all right, who, sorry, guys, whoever gives me money first, that kind of, I mean, that's how yeah. I do it. And I don't know if that's the right way. I don't know how you would approach that, that situation. Hey, but. that's that's how we do it. I mean, unless somebody's like, hey, I'm on my way to the bank right now. Like, give me like 10 minutes. I mean, we're not going to hold it until we have cash in hand. So, I mean, you just have to do what you think is right by your customer. But, I mean, it, it's weird how that happens, though, because yeah. we'll have an animal listed for freaking eight months and nothing. And then all of a sudden, two people want it within two hours. <laughs> it's like, what the hell, guys? Where have you been? <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's it's kind of a, a good segue into the fact that, I mean, most of our businesses are seasonal. So, I mean, how do you guys deal with that as far as, you know, there is a busier season than not? I mean, we're coming up on tax season, thank God. But uh, how do you guys deal with the ups and downs? Budgeting. <laughs> I don't know. I yeah. mean, like Matt said earlier, I mean, we're not struggling to pay the bills. We're not really living snake sale to snake sale. I mean, we have enough of a cushion to where we'll be okay. I mean, I mean, you just have to know your personal finances and live within your limits. So, I mean, like for this show, we didn't eat out a single time. We brought all of our groceries with us. I mean, our biggest expense was gas getting to California. But other than that, we brought our camper and we stayed in a campground. We cooked all of our own food. I mean, so we know that, hey, right now is a, kind of a slow time of year and we need to watch it a little bit more. We don't, we don't need a $100 dinner every night and we just have to know when to reel it in. And we're pretty good about being on the same page as far as that goes. But I mean, everybody just needs to know their personal limits of what they can afford. Yeah. So that way you don't have to sell that fancy new snake you made in order to buy dinner for the weekend. It's, it's different too for us. I mean, I like to cook. You're a good cook too. So, I mean, most of the time Thanks, you get a better, you get a better meal at home. You know, I can go spend money on a good steak or a good piece of meat and we get a good meal for less money. But you know, if you're saving 20 or 30 bucks on that, that adds up. And then later on, that's a trip. I mean, we like to travel. That's what really makes this a cool industry to begin with. You get to see new areas and figure out, you know, do I want to come back here, or come see it later on in life. But I'd rather take time off later. You know, you're squirreling money away for this or that. I don't know. It's still been steady, even though, it's, yeah. you know, the slow season has still been been, been good to us. So I can't complain there. But yeah. Do you guys still have yeah. the window to ship? Um, right back now. On, back on uh, Wednesday. Yeah, between <laughs> really Thanksgiving, really the week before Thanksgiving to the week after New Year's is really kind of our iffy window that we're not sending out a lot of shipments in. Now, I mean, there's still probably two, maybe three shipping weeks in that time frame that we can send stuff out. We we try to put that on the Facebook page and communicate that to our customers that, hey, these are our shipping windows. If you want something within this time frame, kind of keep that in mind. And I mean, most people are okay with waiting until a safe window. I mean, if people ever get pushy, it doesn't really turn out very well for them usually because I'm like, all right, here's your money back. Have a nice day. Yeah. You know, you're not going to push me into shipping the animal when it's not safe to do so. So we really, 
really are pretty firm on what days we ship. I mean, typically it's Monday through Wednesday. We always do priority overnight through FedEx, um, heat and cool packs as needed. I mean, the, all of that. And most people are really good about being considerate of that. I mean, yeah. we explain, hey, it's not the fact that I'm trying to keep your animal or keep your money. It's just we have to wait until temperatures are safe or we have a safe window that's not right next to a holiday. So, I mean, once we explain that, 98% of people are okay with yeah. that. It's that 2%. They're like, oh, well, I don't want to send you money right now if you're not going to ship. And it's like, all right, well, have a nice day, you yeah. know? And most of our stuff we do hub to hub too. Yeah. So we've got, we go to the Little Rock Hub, which is open till what, almost nine? 8.30. Yeah, so we have so, a FedEx ship center about 20 minutes from so the house. I mean, I'll drop them off in the evening, so you're looking at 7.30. I try to tell people that, too, depending on what time zone they're in. It's, you know, it's going to be in the evening before you get your, your confirmation email. But then if you're picking it up the next day, you go to the hub, 8, 9, 9 o'clock in the morning, it's there. Yeah. So now you're they're in climate control area for, for most of that, that trip, you know, until they're going out on the, on the jetway to get on a plane and little ride to wherever that hub may be so you're really talking about a lot less impact on the animal um as far as december goes the really the first first couple weeks and that's about it you get past the 14th the 15th of december and you're talking about too many packages yeah. for christmas and all that stuff uh we have gone as far as putting an animal on a plane We've done the Delta Dash or whatever. Yeah, we did that one time going to Salt Lake City, I think, because it was freezing. They and the paid ladies more like, for shipping for than they did the animal. Yeah, I think I think they ended up spending over 200 bucks for shipping and about that much on the animal. But, I mean, if somebody's willing to pay it, then, I mean, we'll do everything we can yeah. to accommodate. That was but... the only way to do it with the way the temps were because it was going to Utah. Yeah. So it was like it was only above, like, 35 at, like, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That's when the plane landed. And... So it was a little bit of logistics, but yeah, a little bit of trouble. Good, for that one. good done. <laughs> Old school double dash. Yep. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, that's wild. So, wait, Ryan, was that your mic? Your mic no, that's that's not me. So I know people when Melissa's not here. I talk a lot about business and snake business and stuff that we probably wouldn't talk as much about, which is not here. So to appease probably the other you know, 90% of people listening, I guess we just talk about animals and, uh, and, and golden pythons. So can you explain a little bit about how you got into that? So we were actually really lucky. We had a close friend that had a trio of adults and he, he had reptiles for quite a few years and then just decided to get out of it. I know he had some stuff happen with his house. So just, you know, life happened. And, you know, I told him, I told him all along, I'm like, Hey man, if you ever get rid of the Angolans, just let me have a chance at them. Like they have always been a bucket list thing for me. So that day came and he sent me a message. He's like, Hey, you know, I can't, I can't keep these anymore. Do you still want them? I'm like, hell yeah. Like, tell me a price. Tell me when I can come get them. So that's how we came into the Angolans. We got an adult trio and People think they're super ball python-ish, and I just disagree. I think the only similarity is maybe the shape of the head, and they live semi-close to each other. But the similarities really end there. As far as personality, the Angolans are completely different. They're not the shy, reclusive ball python that people think. Um, they're I probably compare them more to a carpet python personality without the bitiness. I will say our well, Angolans—they're not, they're not wonky either. But... Yeah, our Angolans aren't bitey. Um, every once in a while, the babies are a little bit, eh, not so sure of things, but like we've yet to be bit by an Angolan ever. And that's with 
I don't know, we've probably produced, what, 40 hatchlings? Yeah, we've produced them for several years now. We only do one clutch a year, so that's why that's why people pretty much stay on a waiting list until we have another clutch. Yeah, their clutches are so large, it takes so much out of them that it's not, they don't kick back like a ball python. I mean, they probably could go every year, but it's it's a lot of stress. You're talking about something. Yeah, it's a lot of strain on the female because you can really see the toll that it takes on that female. It's almost like a boa. You don't want to breed them back to back years just because it takes so much out of them. So you have to kind of do what's right by the animals. So we rotate our females. We only breed one female per year. And I mean, the clutch sizes we've seen anywhere from nine to 12 with ours yeah or 13 yeah 9 to 12 is typically what we get for a clutch size but they're really cool i mean our kids can get them out like they'll drape them over their shoulders and just kind of walk around with them like our angolans are super chill and with the adults we keep them in four by two cages with the acrylic front so you can open up the cage and they just crawl out on your shoulders and they're just super inquisitive and really in tune with what's going on around them like you can't open their enclosure and not expect them to come out kind of looking around so a lot of people that are used to ball pythons look at that and they're like oh my gosh they're aggressive they're not they're just very curious they're not going to ball up on you i don't know if it has anything to do with the line that we have or anything like that because there's been others that are snippy i guess but yeah i've seen others that never had a problem (laughs) but they're also it's kind of like with a lot of things if you if you go in there timid then maybe that makes a difference i mean especially with like hatchling size stuff if you go in there i hate to say like a puss but that's what it is yeah don't be a puss yeah they're gonna tag the shit out of you but anything would at that point you know you're giving them the opportunity if you go in there and i'm gonna take you out i'm gonna handle you then they're oh shit okay i guess i'm good with this now (laughs) Yeah, it's just the way it is. Yeah, you can't yeah. be a sad. You can't be a rumbly. <laughs> <laughs> I start calling and said, "Don't be a rumbly." <laughs> now, I've I've heard that uh, angolans and some can be dicks, but I've also heard that their clutches can be usually super male heavy. Have y'all observed that at all? No, we've been actually like just about every clutch we've had has been roughly 50 50 and the ones that went in any direction were female heavy so we have not had any male heavy clutches yet so hopefully that continues yeah and is the is a general husbandry and breeding similar to ball pythons for the most part yes the temperatures are about the same we keep them on the coconut also now we'll say they don't require the high humidity that ball pythons do i mean i've never had an angolan with a bad shed um so i mean really that's a big difference is they don't they don't need the high humidity to lift like the balls i mean their scales are a little bit different texture like they have the beaded scales and i mean they live in a rockier environment than ball pythons so that explains why the different humidity requirements but temperature wise we keep them same temps as ball pythons they just require the bigger cages i see some people keep them in rack systems and you can up to a certain size but i've never tried to cram an adult female in a cb70 or anything like that no i I put them in there to clean yeah it's funny because i mean they're like wrapped around that whole thing yeah because ours are four thousand plus grams i mean you can't cram that in a cb70 and expect her to be comfortable it's just too small so the four by two cages is what we like to keep them in. And if we ever change into change to the racks, I'd like to get the bigger racks for them too. So if you don't have one, get one. They're they're awesome. They're really cool. I mean, they're personality wise, you can't beat them. I mean, they're just a really cool medium sized snake. I mean, I wouldn't consider them a large python by any means. Well, I mean, but... they're they're still 
I mean, six and a half foot, so you're kind of middle of ground on it. So, I mean, it's still, even at, you know, over 4,000 grams, it's it's a beefy female or our male's a little bit lighter than that. But, you know, it's just a cool big animal that, that like she said, they're inquisitive. So they're going to, they're always moving around, but they don't hang on like a bow or a ball will still kind of wrap their tail a little bit. They don't give a shit. You're, you better hang on to me because I'm going to go wherever I want to go. <laughs> yeah. So. And they're not stocky like a ball python either. I mean, they're they're a lot longer and a little bit leaner than a ball python. They don't get near as thick, but they do get longer. I think our females are six and a half, seven foot. Because he, he was laying down on the couch with one one day, and it, she stretched all the way out, and she was longer than he was tall. So, I mean, they're just really neat animals. So if you've never held one, I recommend that you do at some point. They're just really cool. And they're not terribly common. I mean, as many people as... Are interested in them i don't think the well you i don't think there's enough out there to the satisfy the demand too is is you can't breed them like a ball python where you're waiting two and a half years okay that female's ready you're closer to four or five yeah you know they can't take the the bigger meals you know you just it's not something you can rush yeah and i guess that's where it kind of comes back on us anyway i mean we take the longer road on a lot of projects where you're sitting back and waiting five seven years for something so to wait five years on a female to be ready to breed it is what it is that animal is going to come first over you know trying to put a couple bucks in my pocket but yeah i mean babies they are prone to regurges really babies and juveniles you don't want to move them up too fast on meals i mean you can't you can't pound them like you do a ball python i mean you can't feed them every three days and expect them to do well yeah. and i've seen some really fat baby angolans before and they just I don't know. The meal to weight ratio is really good with those. They're very good at transferring that. So if you feed them really heavy, they're going to get fat. Yeah. And we, same thing with those two. They get twice as many meals as the balls before they even leave the house. So, yeah. But I mean, they also, I mean, they're going to stay on hopper mice twice as long. Yeah. So. I mean, we move them up in meal sizes really slowly because if you give them something too big, they are prone to regurge. And once you get an animal down that track and they're doing it consistently, it's really hard to turn that around. So we just try to err on the side of caution and don't push it. So, I mean, it's not like a ball python where you can breed them in a couple of years and everything be fine. I mean, it's going to take a lot longer and which is kind of the case with most pythons. Ball pythons just seem to be the exception where they breed at two or three years old. Yeah, I kind of wondered, I mean, it's such a beautiful animal, a unique animal, and it's so similar to ball pythons kind of in other ways with seemingly a lot more personality. It's like, why haven't people been successful with, I mean, is it the patience or the regurge or people just don't understand them? I think a lot of it is the patience. I mean, people want an instant gratification. They want to buy adults and have clutches that year or they want to, you know, raise them up to breed in two years and it just it doesn't happen with those not successfully i mean most people that breed them successfully have older adults and have bigger adults that lay consistent clutches i mean we've been fortunate that our females lay consistently every other year so we're able to rotate our two females now i mean we did help we did hold a couple back so i mean we're we're raising up a few but it's going to still be a few more years before those are yeah. ready and it's okay like we're not in a rush to get eggs out of them. And the other difference is too, their eggs are a lot bigger than ball python eggs. So you talk about an animal pushing out an egg that's considerably bigger than a ball python egg. You want them to be considerably bigger than an average female ball python. So, I mean, that it, and that lies the extra years. I mean, because they don't grow super fast. I'm pretty sure. Uh, what the hell was it? Off the top of my head, I want to say that last female laid, because we weigh, I weigh the eggs 
after they're put in the tub or whatnot. And I want to say it was around 1,800 grams for 10 eggs. Yeah. Somewhere in there. I mean, the eggs are massive. About, you know, 4,400 gram female laying 1,800 grams. That's a lot of weight to lose. Damn. <laughs> so, I mean, they just, they appreciate that extra time off. <laughs> and is that an animal that will slam food? I mean, while she's gravid? While they're gravid, no. They still kick off, just like most moles. And even, I mean, our adults, even during the off-season, I mean, they they don't really just strike and wrap super hard. The male does. The females, you can lay it in there, and they'll just crawl up and eat it. Because, I mean, again, we feed them frozen thawed. I mean, they'll take a large rat easily. But, I mean, they're not really much of the strike and wrap response. And, I mean, they're all different. Some of our juveniles will strike and wrap. But they're just a lot more chill about it. Yeah, it's 50 like, 50 okay, on well. them. Sometimes they will. Sometimes <laughs> you just set it in there, and when they're ready to eat it, they'll go up and eat it. So, I mean, it's kind of neat. Yeah, I mean, half the time they won't wrap it. You just lay it in there. They're like, all right, cool. I'll eat it. Shoot. Sure. <laughs> Thanks. Take care now. <laughs> and so, uh, Graham in the chat asked or said the slackline blood pythons that you guys had at Arlington were fire emoji. Um, I didn't know that you guys worked with short tails or bloods. So um, what kind of animals are you working with on that front? Uh, We have a really small group of blood pythons. It was just something that we picked up last year just to kind of diversify a little bit and work with something, something new. Um, We have a pair of slack lines. We have a pair of golden eyes and then a T positive batique. And that's, that's really it. I mean, we have five and we don't really want to just, get into blood pythons like we are in the ball pythons it was simply for the purpose of working with something new and interesting kind of yeah keeping things fun you know well i mean you appreciate all animals that are out there but it's tough to have you know a bunch of everything so you find something you're really passionate about okay we can do small projects in this this is what i'd like to produce or or you know we're still you still take the same same method moving forward we do with our ball pythons i mean i'm, I'm not going to buy a blood python just because i want a blood python i'm going to buy the one that i want the one that you know looks the best genetically so you're still you know when we do go to sell the you know what what we produce later on it's still you're getting quality no matter you know what what it is yeah we're still super selective about everything we bring in whether it be a hog nose or a blood python or what what have you. I mean, if we're going to take the time to raise it and work with it, I mean, it's going to be nice. It's not going to be just, you know, random. Oh, it was, only, it, it was only 150 bucks. Yeah, it was only 100 bucks. <laughs> Yay. So, I mean, that wears off really quickly when you get something cheap and you're like, well, it looks like shit, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, we try to take the time to pick out really nice animals that are going to make real, more really nice animals. And that, that goes a lot further than, oh, I got something really cheap. Gave me. Yeah, and that, I mean that goes back to you see that so much it shows that people come look at you know come look at your animals and talk to you for an hour, and then you see them walk by you know thirty minutes later with with three animals in the same salad container and you're like what the fuck, but all the time, all you know, the time, and that goes back you know they'll say oh you guys have like the nicest setup here you know it's really nice and clean and then they go buy it from somebody that's got their shit under bird netting and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. 
So, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, everybody has their place in the market and so do yeah. the wholesalers. I mean, they get a lot of the new people and I mean, I get it to an extent. I mean, you don't want to spend a bunch of money on your first animal and mess something up and kill it. But at the same time, I mean, if you're picking a breeder's brain for two hours and then you walk away to buy it for 30 bucks and, you know, it's just like, why did, why did you waste that person's time? Yeah. Or, Hey, I bought this as an OD inch yellow belly and you're like, congratulations on your normal. Yeah. <sighs> oh, that's yeah. the worst. Whenever somebody buys something, it's not even what it's supposed to be. They're like, Oh, check out my pie. And I'm like, that's not a pie beer. <laughs> So, yeah, it's yeah. like one yeah. Google search would have told you what you needed to know. Then. Yeah, I mean, you see a lot of that on on the Facebook groups too. Like somebody will post something, oh hey, look at my clown that I bought, and it's very clearly not a clown. And everybody's like, ah, oh, you're a moron. <laughs> I mean, you just feel bad for the person. So it's like you should have done your research or went to a breeder that would have, you know, got you what you paid big money for. And you know, instead you have the bitterness of, oh well, I just got screwed over. Yeah, and I mean, there's tons of reviews out there. I mean, if somebody has a Facebook page like we do, I mean, reviews are on there. So you can look back and say, okay, yeah, I can trust this or or go to Morph Market. There's reviews on there now. Uh, I mean, just check around or simple Facebook group of, you know, has anybody done business with this person? Or, I mean, there's resources out there to make sure that you're not going to get screwed at the end yeah. of the day. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's... Sometimes it's just that clientele that they want the best deal and that's what they're going to get and then regret it later and maybe moving forward, they'll take that extra step. Yeah. And I mean, so. and you can't, you can't convince everybody. I mean, some people just want what they, what the cheapest thing they can find and that that's okay. I mean, they're going to get started whatever way they see fit for them. But I mean, all you can hope is eventually they'll, they'll come to you in. and want to want to buy something and you know have that experience through you but i mean as far as doing your research i think that goes both ways i mean even as a seller i mean i research people all the time if it's if you contact me through morph market and i've never heard of you the first thing i'm going to do is go to your morph market profile and look you up mm -hmm. i'm going to look at your reviews if i still don't find anything i'm going to look you up on facebook and it's not to be creepy by any means but there's Why? just there's too much <laughs> there's just too much nonsense going on with people scamming Fraud. you know scamming people i mean we had somebody contact us and try to use a credit card and i'm like okay well and i never heard of them i never heard of the name um and i'm like okay well do you mind sending me the picture of the credit card and your photo id because they were going to give me the number of the credit card anyway so i mean a picture isn't a big deal at that point um now if they don't want to do the number that's fine pay through paypal or whatever but he was like oh well, well i don't want to do that i don't want to send you the picture of the credit card but he sent me a picture of the driver's license so matt got to looking at the driver's license and the guy was dead died like, like the guy died before. the guy and it was like some suspicious thing so that happened and um ended up canceling the transaction it was through square never sent them anything and it was it was this big ordeal yeah, it was funny i said you said this was his name right she goes yeah i go oh, i'm reading his obituary <laughs> it was really weird y'all like i can't i can't even explain how weird it was but i mean you you just can't be too careful because there are, unfortunately are people out there that just want to screw you over i mean and if they get the animal and you know they used a bogus credit card it doesn't take anything to file a chargeback such and a so weird thing to try and scam, you know, like snake breeders. Yeah, the black market's hot right now. 
Well, I mean, I was in law enforcement for seven years and I'm still a reserve. And I mean, people will do anything for a little bit of money or to get ahead. And I mean, you just, you can't be too careful as a seller. So, I mean, the thing I always like to say is if if your gut doesn't feel right about it, don't do it. I mean, if something seems off, you probably shouldn't go through with it. Even if everything else looks okay, it's just, you have to listen to your gut on some stuff. And on that one, I was like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Like, it just didn't make sense because the text messages were random and kind of few and far between. And then when I, whenever he asked for a square invoice, like nobody ever asks for that. So it was just really, it was really weird. So you just have to be aware enough to catch on to that kind of stuff. And if something seems off and you can't find any information about that person and they're not willing to provide any references or anything like that, you just, sometimes it's better just to cut that loss and cut that sale. I mean, because it's not worth getting screwed over. And I mean, unfortunately, I mean, I've seen too many people get screwed over and even friends of ours. I mean, just with PayPal and Square, I mean, I don't think it really matters nowadays. It's just the the times we live in, it's it's all too easy for somebody to, you know, get a credit card number or whatever. I mean, I don't know how many times even we've gotten charges in our bank account like somebody gets our debit card number it's like well i'm sitting here looking at the card how the hell did they get the number it's just technology is sometimes i don't know to our detriment so that's why i stay away from it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that's yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Go ahead. ryan Brian. okay when okay. you when you decide to talk, you can talk right over me because I want to hear you say something. <laughs> I know it's like it's hard to get that little bit in there, but uh, I was like you know, it comes down to definitely a little bit of sense and a little bit of research. I've seen some stuff, you know, people get scammed way too much anymore of this crap, and ugh, it's terrible. And then buyers also they drop the ball a lot too. I've noticed. A lot and I think it's that. it's kind of sucks because a lot of people don't know how the like it seems fishy to us, but people who may not have normal transactions over the internet like you know that person who calls your grandma to bail you out of jail or whatever and then they just take your thousand dollars like none of us would ever fall for that right but yeah you know they may not have any experience so that's why i kind of uh maybe that's why the you know some people stay away from selling on the internet and some people i don't know i usually talk to those people for a long time on the phone <laughs> those guys love to talk on the phone guys like that i mean that's if you send me money first, I'll know which account to go put it into. <laughs> and I mean, you have uh, this marketplace where people don't really, uh, there's no one holding anyone accountable, I think is kind of part of the problem is the fact that if someone, even if two known breeders scam each other, you know, someone took $40,000 worth of stock from someone when they were getting out and then they never paid them. There's still really no accountability there because no one's going to sue anyone because we're all broke snake people. <laughs> and so I think it's kind of an issue. Well, but yeah, I don't yeah, have a good solution for that. I mean, it just, I don't know. You got to protect yourself. If something doesn't feel right, don't do it. And I mean, we've had some transactions with people that don't have a Facebook or don't really have an online presence, but I mean, they're valid people. It just, they, yeah. it's, it's usually the people that are buying a pet snake, you know, much like a designer dog that, you know, aren't really in the yeah. reptile industry, don't really have a Facebook, don't really have a following and you just have to. But they did their 
Yeah, I know which one you're talking about too. I mean, these people did their research and we had their information. Like they had just created an account. We contacted John at Morph Market and we're like, hey, what's going on with this? <laughs> they go, they just created that account. And the only person they've messaged is you. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. You know, you do that quick Google search. You go, okay, yeah, she's legit and it's a doctor. Okay. Yep. Yeah. yeah, we're good with this. Like, so that kind of stuff happens too. I mean, usually they have some kind of online record or presence. I mean, you know, you try not to be too weird, but yeah, it was either I mean, a doctor to... or an attorney or something. Yeah. And, I so mean, those I get people that. Are if you're an attorney, legit. I wouldn't have a Facebook page either. <laughs> but then we had another one that contacted us through Morph Market wanting something, and I emailed John, and he's like, oh, well, that same person contacted 100 other people within minutes of contacting you. So I'm like, all right, that's a scam. I'm not, I'm not yeah. doing that. Take care now. Bye-bye. <laughs> And I'm sure, yeah, you've gotten the one. Uh, my assistant will take care of this, and I will get back to you when I'm back in town. Just yeah, send me the money. Finally, forward me one thousand dollars, and I will give you back eight fifty. I'm like, yeah, go fuck yourself. People <laughs> <laughs> I like to talk to on the phone. Oh my gosh, I've I've messed with some of them, and it's hilarious. I'm like, no, 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 send me money. We're friends, right? <laughs> You're like, okay, bye. It's like, thank you. Thanks for playing. Uh, one of those guys starts swearing at me one day. He's so pissed. I don't know what it was, but I'm like, hey, at least I took an hour of your time and you're not going to scam anybody else. You know, oh, fuck you. You know, wherever country he was from. Oh, I don't my remember, gosh. But he was pissed. I had one contact me while I was at work. I was at the PD type of report and they called me on my cell. I'm like, okay. And I'm playing along for a minute and. They, I guess they figured out that I wasn't going to fall for it. And they called me some kind of black-faced something or other. I'm like, what the fuck? I've never even been called that in America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, all right, bye. That's a strong assumption to make over the phone. But yeah. anyway, thank you guys so much. By the way, we blew past two hours very quickly. Yeah, that um, went by really quick. <laughs> Melissa's not here to punch me in the shoulder when it's time. So we went over. Um, so... Matt, Anya, thank you guys so much for being here. And if anyone wants to check out more of the animals you're working with or just website, all that stuff, where can they find you? Uh, we're on Facebook, Snake Eyes Exotics. Uh, we're on Instagram, uh, Morph Market, and then SnakeEyesExotics.com. So the Facebook has our current list. We posted a pre-sale for Conroe. So that's actually the best starting point if you're looking at something. And then we've got to get the website updated here in the coming weeks. Yeah. And typically, too, if there's something specific that you're looking for, uh, contact us because there's a lot of stuff that, that doesn't hit the market. Uh, you can let us know ahead of time. Hey, I'm looking for something in this project. Uh, when it's produced, we'll contact you. That's a good point. People yeah. sneak under the radar there. Ryan Cox, what do you have to say for yourself? Not much. Just if you're interested in what I'm doing, go follow me on Specialized Fauna. I'll post pictures of my snakes and stuff. That's about it. <laughs> Sweet. As for us, PortCityPythons.com, or I guess for me today, uh, PortCityPythons.com, PortCityPythons, Instagram. You know where to find us otherwise. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank everyone for being here. Ryan for filling in, Anya and Matt for hanging out in their camper, which is super awesome, which is definitely a first. So uh, thank you guys so much, and we will catch you next week.